the end, my only I'm running this monkey for now, Frankenstein! I know I'd go from rags to riches. Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make a head or tail out of it. Baravelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. My fate is up to you. Ah, well, the good news is, it's the final episode. It's the final content episode, anyway. Um, the bad news is it's the final episode, which means everybody gets to talk a lot more and who knows how long we're going to be there. Hope you packed a lunch. Jack, you've performed well so far. Haven't been able to get over that hump, but it's the top 10. This is a make or break week. This is the most important week. Do you think you can jockey for position a little bit here and take over that top spot? Look, I'm going to be fine for the first eight picks. Then we get to the top two, and it's going to go downhill for me. So, yeah, this that is going to be fun. That is very specific. Cody, um, been, you know, leader of the clubhouse for the past nine, 10, 11 weeks. How long have we been doing this? Uh, and, you know, do you feel comfortable where you're at? Or do you yes. feel like maybe someone might be able to draft off you and take that lead at the last second okay so here's the two things one uh the final two of jack's list we all know where the lord of the rings resides i'm not giving you i don't know what the scenes are but we know where they're lo located um the here's the thing if i lose if i lose this overall thing this is going to be the same justice that the college football like committee decided to put alabama above tennessee even though tennessee beat alabama so at the end of the day, if that's the case, if somebody drafts past me in the last moment after I've won every week, and if I don't win this week, I don't understand this show anymore. So I have the correct list for to win this week also. If I lose, I I tried. I tried. I can't. It's corrupt. I'll, I'll talk about it like fraud or election fraud or somebody stole the election from me, basically. Uh, that's what I'll do for a while. All right, Jake. Oh, my. I mean, this is your last chance. It's been, it's a bit. It's no shot now for a well, Jake. It's redemption. It's just about redemption at this point. You, you've had you a lot of episodes. Redemption. The last ten, though, you may be able to come back and do something. That's. You, you, do you see that happening? I absolutely not. I have. That's without going too much into spoilers, it's my number one of them is my number ten. So I'm, I don't feel too bad. I have one movie that you absolutely despise that I have two scenes from in my top 10. So we're curious <laughs> to see how you react to that. All right, Scott, you're, you've, you've beaten Jake every week. Yeah. And you've had some, you've had some pretty strong showings. How do you, uh, one time. how do you feel overall um, going into, into this final episode? See, here's the thing, Cody, if you end up losing by like a, significant margin to jack tonight it's basically going to be like when tennessee lost to south carolina and there's going to be some people who are going to say you deserve it because you lost that bad to somebody who should not have beaten you so I should have um, you know yeah, 
all's fair. I'm just hoping to win the Orange Bowl tonight. Thank you. All right. Well, like I said, it is the final episode. Uh, we are going to uh, go through this like we do the bottom three most weeks. Everybody's going to talk about everything. You guys still hear me? Because I'm frozen. Can you hear me? Yeah, you feel yep. yeah, you sound good. Okay. Good. All You're right. Good. We're going to go through 10-10-10, uh, 9-9-9, the whole way through. And uh, the shut-up rolls in effect. Uh, we're going to use that to kind of keep you guys honest, keep you guys on track. Remember, we're talking scenes, not movies. Uh, but let's try to keep this under three and a half, four, five, six hours, if we can. Um, so let's get started. Uh, Jack, hit us up with your number 10. All right. Uh, my number 10 is Magic Hour or Twilight Hour from Your Name. Yeah, this scene is incredible. Upon rewatching this movie this last week, this would be higher on this list if I were to redo it today. Uh, some of the most gorgeous animation I have ever seen on film. Uh, not some of the, the most gorgeous animation I've ever seen on film. Uh, Taki and uh, Mitsuha are two of uh, they, they've got one of my favorite romances in film and this scene where they finally meet face to face for the first time is just beautiful uh it it's a movie that this scene just fills me with the most i i, I can't even really think of how to describe what how this scene makes me feel because it's just incredibly uh heartwarming but you know it's just it's a fleeting moment that uh that they have together so there's a little tinge of bitterness to it and i i can't not think of this scene often it, it just it lives rent free in my head and i honestly this would be in my top five or three if i were to redo this list today it's beautiful yeah, um, I know a lot of people are really passionate about this movie. I don't love it like a lot of other people do, um, but I completely understand why they why they feel the way. And this scene has a lot to do with it. Uh, yeah, the animation is just mind blowing. I, I have I'd love to see this movie on the big screen. I think this is a movie that um, you know if you could see it um, in the theater, you'd really get more of an effect. But um, yeah, I, I just think the animation is great, and just the story, um, just how the story kind of leads up to this with them. Like I love the twist that they're in different time time periods, uh, and just them finally kind of coming together here is really cool. So, um, I mean, I'll be, I'll be saying this a lot tonight, probably tens high, um, but it's still a very solid scene. It's a very good you know, uh, scene from an animated movie. Uh, everybody else on Twilight Hour for your name. I'll be quick. I need to. Wa I'll watch this this week. I need to rewatch it anyways. I can't pick and choose what scene in my head right now. This is so. And it moved Jack too much to explain too much to me. So, uh, uh, yeah, um, check it out. This is my favorite animated movie of all time. I had a scene last week uh, from Your Name. It's just a beautiful scene. Um, the, fact, the fact that they get to meet each other for, for the first time during this, like, impending incident or accident or, you know, something that's going on. Um, it's Yeah, it's really nice. And just the fact that they finally get to see each other and they're like, there's a moment towards the end of the scene where he, like, writes, he's going to write his name. On Mitsuo's hand, and then it actually just says, I love you. Like, it's really good. It's beautiful shit, man. Beautiful stuff. Yeah, this is definitely the most memorable scene from the one time that I watched the movie. It's a perfect sort of culmination of everything that is set up in terms of, like you said, the, the dueling times and everything that's going on. So, I think it's a great pick. 
All right, that was a smooth start. Cody, what's your number 10? Uh, something that just goes the same level, not animated, but that draws the same heart and emotion and love from it. Uh, it's the quid pro quo scene from uh, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> um, uh, so I think this is the best scene in the movie. Um, it is it is Lecter, um, just his intelligence, like on display, basically. Clarice comes down to the thing because they're finding more evidence on uh, Buffalo Bill, needing his help to break it down. And he def- refuses to play the normal game because he's talking about like moving his where he's staying to somewhere else. Um, and he's just like, I will give you the evidence if you play quid pro quo with me. Um, and basically, but he's like, we're not talking about anything. We're talking about your childhood and like puts her through like a mental like puzzle of like what hat, like she lost her father explaining of that. And like at one point he, the, the brilliant of how it's shot and the score that's playing at the same time, he looks away the entire time. Like he's talking to her and like Clarice looks down at her shoes one time and goes, your $2 shoes won't save you from this or whatever. And it's just like, just the bone chilling of Lecter's, like how he's speaking about everything, and even how he's like, you don't realize how close you are to catching this person if you just realize this. Like it's just like this tit for tat going back and forth between both great performances and Lecter and like almost his most like scary in the entire film, and that's when he can't even hurt anybody. He's behind bars. You can't. But his words are like dissecting her and making her like relive trauma from her life to get the evidence. Like, how important is it? I'll tell you this. So, yeah, that's my thing. Yeah. Um, we talked before about how I don't love how Demi uh, directs this movie overall, but I think in this scene it works perfectly. Um, I just love the, 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 the close ups to them. Like, just I love the introduction. To this for it's really not technically part of this you talk about but it does come in just how like they it's like he's like a dracula at a gothic castle and he's like set up even though he needs a cell he's just it just it's just framed like he's still in a position of power the scenes filmed in pittsburgh by the way um and he comes in and uh that's why i look got it smart uh and just her coming in, like you said just just those those the, the framing just like the the, the the shot you know counter shot kind of thing and uh you know, like you said, him looking away and his eyes, man, his eyes just like are dead. Like, I don't know how, I mean, just that, that's the Academy Award worthy right there. Just how he's able to just drop any like human emotion or feeling or life from his eyes completely. Like I completely buy he's a murder psychopath. And just when he curls up on the window and the reflection on the window, so great. And yeah, and just, you know, introduce like the way he gets ready to do it. Like, you know, tell me about your childhood. And he just, just starts breaking her down, like from, from, from minute one. Um, and just this whole thing is like a game to him. Um, it's, uh, yeah, uh, great. Like I said, I, I have my opinion on the movie. Everybody else. I, uh, just working, sorry. I just thought when they bring up the moth that's inside the, and there's like something that no one's, it's not been discovered or released to the thing. He's like a butterfly, a moth. Yeah. Is like, oh, Billy wants to change. Like, it's just how he delivers that line and her like realization that he knows that before even seeing it is yeah. is just great acting. Somebody talk. Um, I'll be quick because I'm also not a huge fan of the movie. Like I said before, I think every time that Anthony Hopkins is on screen is really the only parts of the movie 
um, that are worth much for me. So as much as I remember this scene, it's good because he's in it. Otherwise, um, you know, it doesn't stick out to me. Um, yeah, yeah, I do like the scene. There's just many other scenes that I think I prefer over this. Like, this isn't a bad scene. I think it's actually well executed from filmmaking and the performances, especially like Hopkins. We celebrate his performance like every day, it feels. Um, yeah, no, it's a good scene. Uh, yeah, this this scene was in contention for the list. It was between this, the night vision scene, and Lecter's escape, which I picked. Uh, so yeah, great, great pick, Cody. Uh, good job. All right, moving right along. Uh, Jake, what is your number 10? I am absolutely going to lose, and that's because my number 10 is Frank reconnects with his dad from Magnolia. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, I know. I Disgusting. Know. Uh, <laughs> okay, listen. I have two anti-Magnolia uh, haters like here. Like I, I do not like that. Um, I'll back you, I will talk. Yeah, thank you, Scott. But I will talk about how great this scene is. Uh, Frank, TJ Mackie, Tom Cruise's character, motivational speaker. He's He's got a phone call telling him that his dad's about to die. So he goes and sees him. He hasn't seen him in years. And he just basically just like, the first half is just talking down on him. His dad left him with his sick wife, his sick mom, and he had to just take care of him all, all, all on his own. And now he's sort of in the same situation his mom was in, where he's on his deathbed, he's dying. And the, the first like half is almost like devastating. Just the fact that um, Frank is just, just destroying his dad. Like, look at you, you cocksucker. Like, you, you, you're dying now. Like, this is where mom was. And just the fact that now you're, it's almost comic it's almost a comic experience for uh, for frank to see his dad in this situation but as he goes on like you see the tears and you see just the emotions the the remorse sort of come out of him and so the the uh so the sorrow that sort of affects him and he's just like i don't want you to die don't die you piece of shit and just the like the, we always talk about how tom cruise is like the biggest action star currently and makes the biggest movies but like him as a performer i just think this is his singularly like defining moment as an actor the way he just delivers this emotional scene with jason robards like he's my winner this year and i think he should have won the oscar um i don't know why michael kane won but it's just like he goes through so many different emotions and just the way he like just just breaks down throughout the scene where jason robots isn't saying anything he's like on his deathbed doesn't say anything and it's just all on tom cruise and he just delivers this absolutely just like powerful performance um that i think just really like connected with me on the first viewing and has always like stuck with me but just like absolutely just raw emotions are just you're just displaying here it's absolutely just like absolutely powerful coho what is the exact opposite of this textbook pandering clip we we need that right now um it's still the jake mangoni thing because that's what i use (laughs) i think you uh made your list just just to hurt me uh i'm I'm taking this personal um yeah this scene whatever i mean tom cruise plays tom cruise variation number three of four throughout the movie and then he ugly cries and that's that's an oscar nomination um I think Philip Seymour Hoffman is doing better acting out of focus in the background at this scene. Um, it's just more, it's the whole movie is just like this, like over the top melodrama nonsense. 
Uh, I'm not Robarts and Hoffman are innocent. Everybody else, uh, and yeah, I the same top 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 ten is nuts. That's crazy. I hope is is it going to get better or worse from here? It's probably going to get worse. Oh no! Uh, Everybody else on Frank and his dad in Magnolia. I haven't seen the movie. All right, look, I love this movie. Tom Cruise is my favorite actor. So, of course, I love this scene because um, I do think it's some of the best acting that he's ever done. And, you know, 99 might have been his last legitimate chance to get the Oscar. I mean, I'm still holding out some hope for this year, but we'll see. Unless he just totally sells out in like his 70s just to, you know, just to get the statue. But he deserves one. Um, he's fantastic in this movie. So this is one of my favorite scenes. I think I still might have just picked the frogs, like if I had to pick a scene from the movie, just because the you know the events and the way it all comes together and the amy man and all that is just perfect but um this is probably the second best scene for me uh the only the only person i'm jealous for in this movie is jason robars because he's dying and he's like he gets to leave um i still have a personal vendetta against whoever put this on the uh full metal list um, that's the only reason I ever saw this movie and have ever seen this movie. Um, I think it's garbage. Um, I think Tom Cruise being nominated is hysterical to me. I think he is by far the worst, like, in this movie. That's why I love this film community. Because, like, two people can watch a movie and they get totally two different takes from it. I think he's awful. Like, <laughs> I don't think he's good. I was, like... If you took Tom Cruise out of this movie, I think I like this movie more. Um, and this scene is one of those things. Like I think of him overall, his, like his acting with his dad. Like I'm, I know you're supposed to care about. It, I just don't like at all. And ten, well, that was your choice. There would be better for like generic Spider-Man walked across screen at thirty second mark would have been better than putting this at the ten mark. Just my opinion. All right. It was probably uh, it was probably somebody who didn't even play Full Metal because that was half the people who added to the. I was to say that's definitely. <laughs> I didn't game. play. I didn't play one year, and they made let me add four. It was a great time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott, your number ten. All right, uh, my number ten is the. I'm calling it the second listening booth scene from Paris, Texas. Um. So this movie is. I mean, it's about a dude who um, has been missing for several years. He emerges in the desert uh, and eventually in the second half of the movie is kind of going on a quest to find his long, uh, also missing wife, who um, is also the mother of his child. And they, you know, for reasons we don't really know, they've separated and they've both sort of gone missing. And he eventually tracks her down and she is working in this sort of like peep show listening booth type thing where she's behind a one-way mirror and um, she cannot see who comes into the booth to talk to her, but he can see through the you know window and see who he's talking to. And so he goes in and talks to her on one occasion. And then the second time he goes in and it's one of the most incredible feats of screen acting that I've ever seen between Harry Dean Stanton, who plays Travis, the guy, and Natasha Kinski, who plays his wife. 
And basically what uh, happens, it's about a 10 minute long scene. And he, over the phone, begins to tell a story about, hey, I, he's like, hey, I just want to tell you a story. And he begins to tell the story of their relationship. And slowly she starts to realize, um, you know, about partway through the story that he's describing their relationship and that this is Travis that's behind um, the the window, the mirror. And so it's a like incre- it's an emotionally overwhelming scene because the rest of the movie is pretty deliberately paced, is all sort of building to this one moment when it all just comes crashing down because you don't know what exactly has gone on and why Travis, you know, what his whole deal is. Um, but then, yeah, like I said, the acting, just the way that Harry Dean Stanton delivers the story, and then especially Natasha Kinski, who is mainly just reacting behind the window. And again, like I said, having that slow realization. And finally, the scene culminating with her like coming up to the glass and like pressing her face up to the glass, trying to see and saying Travis because she realizes it's him. Um, it's like just absolutely devastating. It's one of those scenes that should like be taught in schools. And I think it probably is because the acting, the dialogue, and especially the direction of them vendors and like the way that he uses the silhouettes of them and everything until like eventually like his face like completely overtakes hers it's it's like a brilliant scene to look at for being just the simple scene of two characters talking so it's an incredible scene um like it deserves to be talked about on any top 100 scenes list in my opinion yeah harry dean stanton didn't get enough respect um we don't talk about him enough um so underrated as an actor and so good in this movie just in general like like you said this is the point where like up until here you haven't got like a lot of emotion from him you haven't got a lot of like information as to who he is as a person and it all comes pouring out here at the, at this moment just him like you know and fight like you're the the story is kind of unfolding as he's rediscovering everything so you're kind of figuring things out too um and yeah like you said the way it's shot with the the the, the lighting in the booth and the, and the and the the reflections um really really well uh, uh crafted scene too um yeah great movie and uh one of i don't know there's a lot of good scenes in this i don't think you could have gone wrong picking the scene from this movie but this is a really solid one uh everybody else on listening booth paris texas i haven't seen the movie um it's been forever since i've seen paris texas i remember thinking it was a masterpiece um but it has been almost like 10 years since i've seen it um i do want to rewatch it but i do remember like this is the best scene in the movie this is like the, the standout scene and it's like absolutely fantastic All right. Uh, well, pace so far. We're down to number nine. Jack, what do you got? Number nine. All right. Uh, my number nine, uh, a yikes from earlier. It's the dueling anthem scene from Casablanca. Yeah, this scene is fantastic. I uh, So context to this scene, uh, Rick Blaine at this point in the film has been in completely neutral to everything that happened uh uh he's having a conversation with victor laszlo uh in his office and they hear the uh what i assume is the german anthem uh these uh these german soldiers uh basically uh singing out uh the german anthem in his uh in his cafe and laszlo furious with this uh goes down to the band and tells them to play i'm not i'm not going to even try the name because i'm going to butcher it but the french anthem yeah thank you uh uh 
tells them to play that. They look over at Rick, and then he just gives them a nod. And in that moment, uh, Rick has finally decided uh, to take a side. Uh, and they start playing the anthem. The entire, uh, all, all the people in the cafe start singing along to it, and it and it quickly drowns out the German anthem. And it's a really powerful moment. It uh, it stuck with me since the first time I saw Casablanca, like three years ago. And it's a scene I visit, uh, re revisit, and think of often. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful moment in this movie. You can take uh, take the rest, Scott. Scott, where'd you have this at? I think I had tw at twenty eight, maybe. It was pretty high for me. Um, yeah, it's an incredible scene from one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, I was just watching the World Cup. It's funny and hearing Lamarcier's is like it just reminds me of Casablanca whenever I hear it. But it's it's a it's one of the top national anthems for sure. If we're doing national anthem rankings, it's definitely up there. But yeah, like Jack said, this is like the point in the movie where Rick he realizes that he doesn't have any he can't be neutral anymore. He has to take a side. And um, you know, by sort of facilitating what Laszlo is doing, um, he he, uh, you know, it's it's a great scene. And, you know, there's so many little moments, too, of the characters like you have. I think her name's Yvonne, the woman who's like, you know, always drinking at the bar and like trying to seduce Rick. And she's like so like emotional singing the song. You have Ilsa just like looking at Victor Laszlo and you realize like this is when she like she's like looking at him and realizing that she loves him like she does. Um, and. Um, and then what I love too is that because this movie is so great and it has everything, you know, the scene ends and then it's like, you know, Strasser, he comes up to Captain Renault and is like, you need to shut the bar down or whatever. This is see, look at what Laszlo can do. And he's like, well, I don't have a reason to shut it down. They're like, we'll make one up. And he goes, okay, you know, and he shuts the bar down or whatever. And he's like, I'm shocked to find that there's gambling going on in here. And uh, the guy just walks up and goes, you're winning, sir. He's like, oh, thank you. And just puts it in the box. So there's a great joke at the end of this, like, really powerful scene as well, which sums up, you know, how great this movie is. I love it. Um, yeah, this scene is kind of a microcosm of why I love this movie so much. And, Scott, you kind of hit on the head. Like, everything's so real. Like, you feel like even, like, the, the background characters are, like, real people that are experiencing this. Um, I always say you, the, the the Yvonne character, she has one of my favorite character arcs in the history of cinema, and she gets like three and a half minutes of screen time. Like that's how yeah. that's how like well crafted every person that walks on camera is. Um, like you said, there's so much emotion. Like a lot of these actors were actually like real life French expats who had escaped the occupation. So I think a lot of that emotion is real. And like I don't, I'm not French. I don't care about the French. I don't particularly like the French. Um, but I watched this. I just rewatched the scene just to rewatch it before we came on. I was getting choked up just watching the clip. Um, it's so powerful. And like you said, there's so many story elements going on here. Like you're re you're realizing like the, the, uh, exactly the importance of Laszlo is. And for the first time, Rick's starting to like you know his facade is starting to crack. Um, and yeah, like you said, that gag at the end is so that 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 timing where it's like I'm shocked, shocked to find out that gambling is going on here. You're winning, sir. Thank <laughs> winning, you very sir. much. So it's I mean Claude Rage is great in this movie. Um, but yeah, this is, a, I mean, if anything, I'd say you guys have this too, too low. I'd have the, I mean, make an argument. This is top three, top five all time. Um, Cody and Jake did not have it. Explain yourself. You haven't seen it? No, I've seen it. I've seen it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I didn't have it on my top. Mm -hmm. 
I, I don't, so I don't relate to any, like, real scene from Casablanca. I like the movie overall as a whole. I don't love, like, an individual scene that I absolutely love, I don't. When you guys are describing that, it's funny. I like the, I like, I like the moments, but it just doesn't click as, like, one of those scenes for me. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much in the same, uh, you know, boat as, uh, as Cody. Um, like, I like the scene, I like the movie, but it's just, like, it's one of those things where I watch the movie... I knew pretty much everything about the film going into it. Um, but, like, it's a good movie. I do want to rewatch it just to, like, get a clear mind of, of the film. And the scene itself is good, but, yeah. I will say the more you watch it, the more you like it. That's what happened to me. It took me, like, five I, I would say that about Magnolia, you know, so. Watch it on the big screen. <laughs> I love that. Um, Cody, number nine. Uh, number nine, I guess you'll have the pandering clip ready. It's not pandering, it's just a fact. Um, it's Michael shoots Palazzo and McCluskey Godfather. That's textbook pandering. I mean, I mean, it makes sense if it's pandering, but it's also in my top five movies of all time, so I'll take, I'll take the pander, I guess. Um, yeah, um, uh, this isn't my favorite scene from The Godfather, but... It's very, very close to my favorite scene from The Godfather. Basically, <clears throat> Michael not in not. Um, I'll save everybody the thing. Michael not in organized crime, not part of that side of the family. Michael gets put into that side of the family, agrees to do this for the family, and it unlocks something inside Michael, and it translates for the rest of his life. Um, you can basically. It's similar to what like. Um, as soon as he gets picked up in the car with them and they're driving, they frisk him, they check all the stuff, and he's like starts having the conversation. Um, you see like the darkness in Michael's eyes, like he is like no, like he's dead inside at this point. Like he has no, he has removed himself, uh, any logic, any like he knows what he has to do and that's what he's going to do. Um, they go into the, they go into the. The, the restaurant and like uh, Salazzo sits across from him and goes, I'm going to speak Italian to Michael. And he starts like talking to him and like, I want him, I want to keep this cordial. Like I don't, I want, I want this end fighting to stop like everything. And Michael's just like agreeing that all of a sudden he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. He gets up, he walks to the back and that's when the tape guns in there and he comes back and probably one of the most brutal shot scenes, like also in like film, like, like seventies, just pops him right in the head and then shoots McCluskey in the throat and then forehead and you like see the blood pour out of the thing and Michael like leaves and that's when it starts like who Michael is from that point on. Um, I think it's just an absolutely brilliant scene. Um, it sets up exactly where Michael's turn is. I I said I Michael Corleone is like the best character like arc like in film history for me of like where he starts to where he ends, and this is the first like the first like tri trigger to put him to where he becomes who he is. Um, I also had this. Yeah, it's funny we were just talking about the Casablanca scene, which is like where Rick decides he can't be neutral anymore this is almost like i mean you could say it at multiple points in the godfather but this is truly the like you can never go back after this scene for michael um and so it's yeah and they set it up so perfectly like by explaining here's what you need to do right and but like you still don't have full confidence in him to do it because he's 
still kind of the, you know, demure Michael at this point. And like, he goes back into the bathroom and like, it takes what seems like an inordinately long time for him to find the gun. And you're like, Oh no, like what's happened. Did they not hide the gun properly or whatever? Did something go wrong? And then, you know, he, he's, he was told to like, just come out of the bathroom shooting and he doesn't. And he goes and sits down and like, you know, is waiting a second, like deciding, is he actually going to do it? And then, and I also love that Sterling Hayden is just like, chowing down on his veal or whatever and you know then he just all of a sudden gets shot he's like what the heck and then finally you know just him walking out and that last shot is so amazing of him like with the gun and he just throws it and like puts his hands up in the air like i'm washing my hands of whatever just happened in here like it's simultaneously like i can't believe i just did this and also like i'm disavowing what i know that i've just done um so it's it's a perfect scene you know from a perfect movie um it was hard to just pick just one scene. And of course I could have picked more. I mainly just picked one scene for most movies. So I did go with this one, but um, yeah, it's so good. I'll shout out to McCluskey for doing like the most violent headbutt through the table of all time to like <laughs> fall to the floor. Like it is the most abrupt and that table goes flying. It's great. Um, man, you guys picked arguably like one and two all time back to back. That's, that's pretty good. Um, this scene is, yeah, this this has been. I don't know if it's still my favorite scene of all time, but it has it was for a long time. Like a few other scenes, maybe like have challenged it. Uh, but this is so good. Just the te- the way it builds the tension, and like you said, like everything, like the bathroom, like him sitting down. I love when they start speaking Italian. There's no subtitles, and it's all just in their faces, and you kind of have to like guess what not guess, but you get enough from them that you know what's what they're talking about. But you're not you're you're just hearing the language. Um, and yeah, just and just how he's given these instructions. And if you watch, he does every single thing wrong. You know, like you say, he comes out, he's supposed to shoot, or he's supposed to come out, shoot, and he sits down. You know, he's supposed to just walk right, drop the gun, walk out. He like lifts the hand, shows everybody the gun because they're supposed to think he still has the gun. Like he does every single thing wrong. And then when he walks out and that beat that hits, that just like real hard, Dah! and he's going out the car, that shot of the restaurant with the lights and the rain. Um, so good. Yeah, Sterling Hayden dies so well. Such a great, like, it's so satisfying because he just so much a lot. Like the kid is nothing; he's so far beneath me. And he just sit there, eating. like that, none of this matters to me. It's it's so important, and um, it's, it's just such a satisfying death. So yeah, great scene. Um, like I said, one of my top all time. So great pick, uh, Jack and Jake. You guys don't have this one. Explain yourselves. I had I mean, a different scene from The Godfather. Uh, it's a great movie. Can't wait to rewatch it. Uh, yeah. Great pick, Cody. This is a great scene. I do like it a lot. Um, I just love the 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 eye play of Michael Uchida. There's that one like dolly zoom in, and it's just him, just like just you can just see every thought that comes into his brain of like, how do I do this? How do I pull this off? If I do this, what am I going to do exactly? And then just the way that the train, like the sound of the train, just like getting louder and louder it just it's perfect filmmaking honestly like it's we 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 celebrate francis Ford coppola's um directing sort of uh his accomplishment uh from the godfather films um yeah it's just a scene that i just don't really like i don't call it a favorite i call it one of the best scenes but i just don't call it a personal favorite of mine because why would you consider the best ones your favorite that would be weird uh jake it's your turn number nine it is my turn um my number nine is the it's hard to explain but basically it's the fantasy sequence in mommy 
Um, so, Kirk, I got a question. You've so you've seen the scene, yes? Yes. Have you? Seen, did you watch the movie? Unfortunately, I had a very hectic week. I was not able to, but I got. That's I'll okay. explain to you where I'm at with it. But go ahead. Yeah, I got a um, of it. Without going too much into detail, because I think Mummy is like an incredible film. Um, the whole movie opens with this law that's just been um, that's just been. Uh, I don't know what the term is, but there's a new law basically allows um, financially limited parents to send their um, uh, their children to hospitals if they are like mis- if they misbehave or if they're like massively troubled. And the whole movie builds up, and you see this relationship between a mom and a son, and their relation and their connection with another neighbor who's also a teacher. Um, and a lot of stuff happens throughout the movie. I won't go too much into spoilers, but it just comes to a breaking point for the mom where she realizes, I don't know what else to do for my son. And so they decide that under the the pretenses that they're going to the beach or they're going out. And so they all pack up and drive to the hospital. The, The boy doesn't know, the mom, and I believe the neighbor does. And as the drive goes on, that aspect ratio, which I talked about a few weeks ago with the Wonderwall sequence, starts opening up. And you see, instead of them going to the hospital, they go to the beach and they have a good time. You see him getting better with grades. You see him graduate from school. You see him get the letter saying he's going to college. You see them pack up. And it just basically becomes what the boy's life could have been. You see him growing up. You see him bring a, a girl over for dinner them getting married and throughout this whole fantastic sequence is just what the mom once wanted of his son that he she knows just is never going to happen to see her son grow up get married have a have a wife have an education become something that she wants her him to be just know that it's not going to happen while the music by um Ludvico Annuardi I think is his name uh, plays throughout the sequence it's just like a fantastic piece it's it's what's it called again it's called um experience and it's just something that i listen to a lot but just listening on its own it's just like one of the most like beautiful pieces of music i've ever heard and throughout the scene it's just sort of heartbreaking to know that as a i mean i'm not a parent i don't know the, the exact i don't have the exact connection that the main character has but just seeing like having a child and not getting to see what you want to see of your child and seeing them, you know, getting married and graduating and going to college. It's just like, it's almost heartbreaking to be like, I, what have I done to, to get to this point? And it's just absolutely just a fantastic just idea that I think is executed perfectly throughout the scene. Um, it's just one of those moments that just always, I never cry during movies, but this definitely gets to a point where I'm just like super emotional about what's happening. Yeah, I do apologize, Jake. You did ask me to watch this night. I got, I read it. I got it from my library. I had it all set. It just, like I said, the week kind of got away yeah, from me. Um, but I did, but I did go and I read up on the movie and I got a lot of much information I could and I watched it because I wanted to be able to at least discuss it with you. Um, and yeah, from what I know and watching the scene, um, it's pretty solid. Um, you know, just because having personally, you know, having you know family members who have, you know suffered from mental illness and having lost people to mental illness, like. Just that idea of, and ex, you know, you, you don't really think about it, but it's like, just what are you losing to this illness that this person has? You know, like, what is it taking away from you? Besides, besides just the person, 
it themselves, like the experiences that you're supposed to have with them, like for just a, a normal, regular life that people take for granted. Um, and I think this scene really expresses that really well. Um, I think that um, the music is great. Um, and it is, it's a very, even like I said, without the context of having seen the entire movie, um, I was very emotionally affected by it. So I thought it was a really good scene. Um, has anybody else seen this movie? Sorry. No, it's a, it's one I've been told to watch by someone I went to high school with, but I haven't seen it. All right. Um, that takes us to Scott and your number nine. Well, people might be surprised it's this low, but uh, this is Jessup's cross-examination from A Few Good Men. I had this. Yikes. Movie. Okay. Uh, wow. Why Holy shit. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the side of the cider is crazy to me. What did he say? Okay, it was number nine. Let's relax, everybody. It was still pretty. All right, Jack. Um, number eight. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, my number eight. Wow. Uh, my eight is Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Princess. Which are? He says it the whole movie. Probably okay, the fine. The one at the end. The, 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 the one Here's that, the that deserves to be this high on a top. It, it is Jack. He could have totally made a terrible mistake and put the very first time he says it. He's an idiot. Okay, you know what? That's totally valid. You're, that, that assumption. That's fair. Uh, but anyway, this scene's incredible. Legitimately my favorite revenge kill in movies. Uh, Inigo Montoya, he is... He's just... He's one of my favorite characters in... Uh, uh, in movies, uh, specifically, like there's so many great characters in this movie, but he's my favorite probably. Uh, when he finally finds the six fingered man, uh, when he finally meets Count Rugen face to face, uh, he uh, and he corners him. Uh, uh, he <sighs> shit. When he finally meets him face to face, uh, there's a great chase scene that follows. Uh, he finally gets him in a room, uh, corners him, he gets stabbed. You think he's pretty much done. Uh, he comes back and he can't stop repeating the line that he's rehearsed over and over and over again. You've heard it before. I won't say it again because it's been said many, many, many times and you know the line. Uh, and then uh, he basically gets Rugen to beg at the end, uh, saying say you'll uh say you'll give me whatever i want uh and he's like anything and more and he stabs him and says i want my father back you son of a bitch it's perfect revenge kill uh it's everything that uh that the movie was um building to for the character and i love it every time it's just so satisfying to watch yeah, uh, what this scene has gone against it obviously is just that it's been you know repeated and you know, quoted so much and um, but it's still fantastic. What this movie does so well is just create really good like basic, not basic in a bad way, but like literally basic like characters who have like very clear set goals, and um, you know he's probably the best character in the movie, and you know you're you know he's you know you know he's been waiting to say this line and he finally gets to say it. He can't. He just keeps repeating himself. Um, and then I want your fa my father back is is such a is such a great like you know final kill you know one liner. Um, and Mandy Patinkin is like kind of underrated as an actor. Um, you know, he's he's one of those guys like you're not gonna like expect him to like give some like great Oscar-worthy performance, but you can tell anytime he shows up, he's working. 
Um, and like he's doing, like he, he, you know, he's he's putting the effort in. And I think he really, and even now you hear him interview, like he really has like a love and a passion for this character in this movie. Um, and it just shows like in his performance here. Um, so yeah, uh, again, we've I think we talked about this in the top 100 movies. Um, people had this this came in high a couple times. And it's not a movie that I still like love and really cherish a lot, but um, it's definitely deserves to be talked about for stuff like this. Uh, everybody else on the uh, on the scene. Um, I the, so I reason I really like the scene. I like I picked the other one. Uh, the scene is like many particulars like talked about it of like he like he got the inspiration from his real father. Like when he says the line like I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Like it was like an improv line at that point. Like it's a brilliant scene. Like it's 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 what you want. Like the joke's been. P- played off so many times but now he's able to finally confront it this is a movie that i love like i've loved for my entire life and the more i get the more again the older i get it falls more and more like it's not like i still love it but it's not like to the like obsession i used to be but yeah if you're gonna pick two scenes i think the two scenes is this one and the one i picked i personally feel like that so great choice eight maybe too high but overall i get it uh, it's a great scene. Yeah, I'm also a fan of Manny Patinkin. I absolutely love his performance in the movie The Adventures of Elmo in Grouchland, which I saw as a kid many times. Um, but yeah, this is a good scene. Uh, what a Jake comment. Um, yeah, it's it's a good scene. I, this movie doesn't really do anything for me. It's just not my kind of movie. But I think it's cool that we had two Rob Reiner scenes back to back. Two very different movies, two very different scenes. One of the things that I think makes Rob Reiner an underrated director. Just saying. All right, uh, Cody, number eight. We're going to continue the theme of like death and blood and misery. Um, uh, my number eight is uh, Tim Robin confesses in Mystic River. What? Um, Mystic River is a movie that people like talk highly about. Uh, they don't talk highly about. They don't think it's deserving. It's not. It's a little overrated. I absolutely adore this movie. I think this is absolutely incredible. I think that Sean Penn deserved the Oscar that year. Uh, I'll stand by that. Um, shut up, Jake. You literally have fucking shit on your list. Like, please. Nick Nolte should have won that year. I'm just saying. You have <laughs> shit on your list. There has been porta potties on your. Stop. You can't head shake anybody on this call. Um. I love giving this movie to people to watch because it's always like Tim is my favorite person that has ever gotten this because he's like, I messed him a little too early. I was like, how are you feeling about it? He's like, I'm 30 minutes left. I'm like, oh God, I'll leave you alone because this is what happens in the last 30 minutes. And he's like, I feel sick to my stomach. Like this scene does so much and it's on both of them got nominated uh, Nick Nolte just wasn't available for the ceremony, but Tim Robbins and Sean Penn going head to head in this like Sean Penn's daughters died. The evidence keeps stacking up, basically that the belief from Sean Penn and his group that Tim Robbins is the one that did it. Tim Robbins killed his daughter, and they're walking down like by this lake, and he's like, "Listen, just confess to it. I'll let you live your life." Like, Sean Penn goes through this entire story of, like, the guy that put me in jail that I didn't get to watch my mother die. He put me in there. We were cellmates, and I put two bullets in him when we got out. 
Like, you'll serve your time. We'll get through this. And, like, he's having this emotional breakdown. And Tim Robbins, like, I killed a pet, like, a guy. He was a pedophile. I killed him. He's like, do you think your wife thinks you killed my daughter? Like, going through all this stuff. And he looks at him, like, really down. He's like, it's my daughter. Admit what you did. Just admit it. And he, like, the turn in Tim Robbins' character. Now, I don't want to give the whole movie away because if you haven't seen it, there's a moment that happens at the very beginning of the film that basically sends Tim Robbins down this path. But he sits there and he's like, Tim Robbins gets these glassed over like eyes and he goes, it reminded me of my youth. If I got in that car, if you got in that car over me, and like basically confesses to something that he had no part in, but confesses to it. And it's like, it leaves you with this uneasy, like sick feeling to your stomach. I think it's just absolutely a brilliant scene from Tim Robbins and Sean Penn, especially the one of the, like the climax of the movie. And I don't want to talk about the scene. Like there's a scene that follows right after this with him and Kevin Bacon. And it's like one, another like heart jerking reaction. I think it, Set in Boston, too, so it just happens. It's just an absolutely brilliant scene. Oh, shut up, Kangaroo Jack. Uh, you really like, have the audacity. Uh, I like uh, the uh, that you picked this scene because, I mean, the big like scene everybody knows, like, is that my daughter? Like, that scene. Um, this one, I think, just so much, so much more subtle, um, but so much still, like, has all the emotion and everything behind it. Um, but has like a lot more layers to it, so I, I think like this part of the performance better. And like you said, just Tim Robbins, like where he goes, and just what you find out later. You know, the, I guess we're not spoiling this movie, but if what you find out later, just you know, if you know that, um, you just, can. I just, I just, I try not to, but you're you're it, fair. To it, um, you know, it just, but I'll just say it just makes this scene so much more devastating once you know that. Um, but yeah. Um, again, I think eight's high for this, uh, but oh, it's still still a solid scene. Uh, everybody else, the confession of Mystic River. Um, I really wish I liked this movie more because I like the story a lot, and I think Dennis Lehane is a great writer. Um, but the acting, honestly, is what throws off this movie for me. I think there's just too much acting with a capital A, and I think Sean Penn is one of the biggest culprits. Uh, I mean, he is the biggest culprit, honestly. This isn't the worst scene. Like, again, the one that Kirk mentioned is, you know, there's a lot more happening there. But I just think um, they could have played this in an even more understated manner, manner and it would have been 10 times as effective as it is. So um, I understand why you picked it, but it doesn't fully work for me. Um, I wish I liked Mystic River more than I do. I think it's fine. It has been like a bunch of years since I've seen it. Um, and I do like the scene, I guess. It's like, like it's weird to me because Robin's won the Oscar and it's just like, it feels more of a uh, of a career win. I mean, he's good in the movie, but I, I just feel like this other win is like Nick Nolte. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good scene. It's nice. Just for the record, Cody, I don't have any scenes that's set in Australia on my top 100. Because uh, nothing good happens in Australia. Thanks for proving that. I Did just, you I, do? You have the rundown. I, I just, I just, want to Australia. That's I just want to point out that Scott, who thinks that oh, Tom, okay. Tom Cruise deserves the Oscar for Ugly Crying, did the Oscar did this movie. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah. Talk about overacting. <laughs> Tom Cruise and Magnolia take 
Don't don't even. Fucking emotional emotionality power. Oh, it's okay when you it's okay when you say it. It's okay when I say it. Talking <laughs> crazy. Welcome to film community. And it's okay when the the, the elitists talk about it, but not us. Fair. Uh. <laughs> oh my Payson. Uh. Yeah, this is a great movie. Uh, it's been like four or five years since I see uh, since I first saw it. I have to rewatch it, but uh, Robbins is phenomenal in the scene. So is Penn. Uh, yeah, great pick, Cody. Wouldn't didn't make my list, but like I can't say anything bad about it. It's a good pick. All I will say is watch in the bedroom. Uh, Manhattan, or what's it called? Manchester by the Sea, or um, the Ice Storm. All better New England Ooh. family tragedy movies. Ice Storm is great. <laughs> All right, uh, Jake, what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight. We haven't had a scene from my favorite movie in a while, uh, so we're going to have the uh, cinema scene from Donnie Darko. Um, Cool, Cody. Uh, Can you just have them put the movie on there? Just have them put the fucking movie on there. Sometimes there are good lord from the same movie. I can do whatever I want. It's my list, bitch. Um. Anyway. Um. Yeah. This. I just love the atmosphere of this scene. Just the tone that this whole scene is. Donnie and Gretchen go to see Evil Dead. Shout out Sam Raimi. Uh, and like you know, 10 20 minutes into the movie, uh, Donnie looks over and sees Frank is there, the bunny man in the bunny rabbit suit, and asks him in a hilarious fashion, uh, why are you wearing that stupid uh, bunny suit? And Frank replies, why are you wearing that stupid man suit? Uh, which I think is an amazing line, and I love saying that. Um, and basically, at this point, like you're finding out just a bit more information about Frank and like who or what he is. He takes off his mask and he sees that he um, has been shot in the eye. Uh, he's played by James Duvall uh, and doesn't really, really go too much into detail why he got shot, um, but basically shows him the screen and says like, hey, look at this, and then opens up the port. Have you ever seen a portal? Shows the screen and it becomes um, Jim Cunningham's house and basically says, burn it to the ground. Like he's kind of manipulating Donnie to do certain things. And at this point is when it sort of uh, changes um, and gets him to burn Jim Cunningham's house. Um, but I just love the atmosphere of the scene. I love the music. It's sort of the main theme that plays during the end credits, um, but just sort of just, it's probably the most iconic shot of the movie of Donnie Gretchen and, and Frank in the cinema, just like looking at the screen. Um, it's just a, a really um, tonally, uh, fascinating scene. I really love the atmosphere that it uh, provides. Just simple, but really um, executed perfectly. I don't know, Jake. I know you're just gonna tell me it's your favorite movie, but um, I just, you know, I've, I've rewatched the scene. It's fine. Um, you know, the tone, the atmosphere. I think there are scenes in movies that do it better. You know, Jake just the sitting there with his weird. We live in a strange world. Smile on his face. And uh, I don't know. It's like I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you it's like the word. It's not, you know, Nick Nolte at all, but um, I'd say it's kind of unremarkable. Uh, everybody else on Donnie Darker in the cinema scene, if you see that. Or the movie theater, as we say in North America. I haven't I seen have the movie. Much, I don't have much to add. You know, we've talked about the movie a couple of times. I do really love the movie. I want to watch it 
more, but I've only seen it the once. I do vaguely remember the scene Jake's talking about, but there's some other scenes that stick out more in my memory. But I do like the movie. Just think, if you were to watch the movie, Kirk, you just took care of seven percent of Jake's list. Nuts. Jack, did you just say anything? I said I haven't seen it. Okay. All right. Uh, So we're on to Scott's number eight. All right. My number eight is the beach rescue scene from Roma. Um, Yes, this is such a beautiful scene. And again, another sort of emotional crescendo scene in a movie that um, it doesn't, you know, it kind of strays away from these, shies away from these scenes for the most part. Um, You know, you see sort of the domestic struggles of this woman, Cleo, who's the housekeeper made for, you know, the young Alfonso Cuaron's family. And, um, you know, we, we, we get to learn about her life and, you know, we see her relationship with this man who leaves her behind. She ends up getting pregnant, losing the child. Um, and basically is just having to go through nothing but heartbreak and strife for the whole movie. And, um, it's already been established early in the movie that she cannot swim. And yet she goes out with the family, the children to the beach and one of the children wades out into the ocean and gets caught up in the tide and there's basically no one to rescue her and cleo the main character has to go in and rescue her and we don't really understand how she's able to do it again because she can't swim we know that she can't swim but that's kind of the beauty of it is this scene probably didn't exactly happen like this but uh in in real life but this kind of shows how alfonso Cuaron saw this person as like a miracle worker in a way um and so there's something sort of almost supernatural and miraculous about what she's doing in this scene and then just you know the image and it's on the poster of them on the beach just all embracing um and her at that point breaking down and confessing that um she is glad basically that her child did not live. Um, It's just such a a devastating scene, but also it has a silver lining in a way that um, it doesn't really come anywhere else in the movie. Again, you're kind of just expecting the worst for this character the whole time based on how it goes. And um, the fact that she is able to rescue, um, you know, the, the, the child and, uh, basically is kind of showing there that, hey, this is kind of the family that I've made for them myself and I'm, you know, at least feel complete with them in my life. So um, I love this movie and I will never forget, you know, this scene for the first time, just, you know, overwhelming me. And how they filmed the scene is really cool too. Like they built this whole dock of like, you know, going out into the ocean basically and in order to allow the scene to happen. So uh, it's it's very well done. Yeah, when this movie first came out, um, they did day and date, so it was on Netflix. But I wanted to see it on the screen. Everybody saying see it on the big screen, so it like kind of like I I just couldn't. It, it was a theater that wasn't very convenient for me, uh, so I was like I kept waiting, you know, for time. I couldn't get there, couldn't get there, but I wanted to see the movie so bad. Everybody talked about. It. So finally, I broke down. I watched it on my phone, and um, you know, watching the whole movie was just beautiful. But this scene on my stupid little phone uh, just broke me just completely broke me um i was just i mean i was like i, I couldn't I, I couldn't breathe i was crying i was like oh my god um and just the way like and again, the whole movie I, the thing i love about the movie is how it uses what's not on camera and how it kind of uses the periphery to you know like what you know like the, uh, 
things that would usually be the main story of the movie are happening on the periphery and you really don't see them happening. Um, and you know, when she goes out, you know, the, the camera's, you know, locked on the beach and when she goes out, it stays. Mm-hmm. So you really, you really don't see the rescue. Like you just, you're, you're, you're left that you hear them, but you can't see what's happening. It's, and it goes on feels, feels like forever. And you got the waves and the water and the sun coming down that black, the lighting with the black, white cinematography, beautiful scene, great scene. Um, so yeah, this is definitely worthy of being in the top 10. There are two scenes in this movie, um, that I would put on, you know, say you should be on top 100. Um, I think the, 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 the forest fire scene is the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this one, I mean, again, every, you could take any frame of this movie and put it on this list and I'd be, be fine with it. Um, but this is a fantastic pick. Uh, everybody else on the beach scene in Roma. Fantastic scene. Uh, absolutely love the sequence. And also the fact that I believe it's all just one take. Like, mm-hmm. um, we talk, we've talked about how much I absolutely love that uh, sort of filmmaking. Um, it's just, yeah, brilliant stuff. And I love the, the shot of them all together at the end. Um, this is my nap movie. Um, this movie has never, I've never been able to make through. I am so bored to tears. Uh, but I will say, just to help everybody else, breaking news, Henry Cavill will no longer be Superman. Uh, just let everybody oh, know. So we went to see Black Adam. It's confirmed by him, and you will. You literally went to see Black Adam to see him <laughs> return, and now he's no longer there. Uh, Henry emotional, himself is emotional damage. Emotional damage! How it's great. His his now? Superman sucked anyway, so it doesn't matter. Is, guys, guys, how is this going to affect the hierarchy of power in the DC universe? It All seems right. like it hasn't changed. It's, it's clearly it's the rocks. Can you believe the Rock came out and said, "Hey, we made fifty-two million dollars on a superhero movie." That's what executives want to hear. <laughs> not billions, millions, not hundreds, tens. Crazy. All right. Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to roadblock, but yeah. That's okay. The cape will not be donned. We're on to number seven with uh, Jack. All right. Uh, my number seven is The Girl in the Red Coat from Schindler's List. What color is the coat? Red. Thanks. What? Um, my favorite trivia <laughs> question of all time in movie trivia. What color is the coat? Uh, Red. Yeah. This scene is incredible. So uh, Oscar and uh, I, I, his girlfriend, I believe. I, I, I can't remember uh, who specifically she is. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. But Oscar's on a horse, uh, like he's riding a horse uh, with this woman, and they're out on this hill. And from on top of the hill, they can see uh, the Nazis emptying the ghettos. Uh, just, it's a massacre in there. They're destroying absolutely everything. There's a bunch of uh, people getting shot. And in the middle of all this carnage, uh, this is my second, uh, like, like it goes back and forth between this and another scene for uh, my favorite scene from Spielberg. But uh, in, all, in the middle of all this carnage, a girl in a red coat uh, walks down the street and uh, the focus is, isn't on anything else in the scene. It's just on her. Uh, and it has Williams's perfect, perfect score. Uh, arguably the greatest film score of all time in this movie. Uh, and the focus is only on her, and it 
brings me to tears every time. And it, the there's a scene that happens about 30 minutes later in the movie that makes this scene even more powerful. Uh, I It was almost that I could have done more scene from this movie that I picked, but I went with this one. It's absolutely perfect. Yeah, uh, this is a standout scene in the movie. Um, I think because it's kind of a book edited with the other one you were referring to, um, it, it, by itself, I don't think it has the impact, but it's still great. I mean, it looks great. It sounds great. Um, and just how, it, you know, just the, just how stark this movie is. Um, and just, just how just depressing. And then you see, you know, a little bit of color, a little bit of life. And then what happens later, um, it's killer. Everybody else on the red coat Schindler's list. Um, one of the greatest movies ever made, if not the number one greatest. Um, but I have a different scene from the movie on my list. With that being said, of course, if I say a, a, a comment like that, um, I don't really think there are any bad picks. This is, you know, obviously a great pick. It's one of the most memorable scenes from the movie, but there's one that emotionally um, affects me more. Um, I have never seen the movie. It's maybe my biggest blind spot ever. Um, but I do know the, the scene and I know the shot like of the girl in the red coat. Like that's one of the most iconic things ever. Um, yeah. This is trying to hit a quota and making sure you've got a Schindler's List scene on your list so you can like prove that you know cinema. Um, not the scene to pick from Schindler's List at all. I think there is like a well, I'll see what Scott has, but I'm betting Scott probably picked the scene that I would pick. We'll see. All right, uh, Cody, number seven. You know, talking about the Holocaust in one, we'll talk about, you know, a self-righteous human being in another. Uh, Jordan Balfour sells penny stocks in the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, basically, he's out of a job. He goes to this penny Dime. He sits down with Spike Jones, basically the character. Underrated character in this movie, to be honest. He is hilarious. But he's sitting there, he's like, they're sitting there, he's like, who the hell buys this piece of shit thing? He's like, well, you know, entrepreneurs wanting to get started, you know. And he's like, but the good news is you make 50% off of what you sell. He's 50%. I'm on it. And he sits down and he gives like the sales pitch of all sales pitch, basically, where he gets the entire room to like stop what they're doing while he's like spewing bullshit across the phone to this guy and the whole room. And then as soon as he hangs up, he gets like six grand from the guy. And they're like, How did you do that? And like he makes so much money from doing that and builds his brand up and stuff like that. Again, it's just Leo Leo deserved the Oscar before he got the Oscar. I think this movie in itself is like arguably one of his greatest acting performances of all time. I think he's great in both. Not a shot at Revenant, but he's he's great in both. And I think this is just like the first glimpse of like what what a douchebag Jordan Belfort really is and what he's able to do and what he's able to like achieve to get it done. And he knows nothing about this. He entered in and just started and convinced somebody over the phone to give him six grand. And he walked away with three grand. So it's, it's, I had to put this scene. There's a lot of scenes I could pick from this movie. I absolutely love this movie. But uh, yeah, this is the scene from the movie that like got me hooked into the movie. Yeah, it's a good scene. I would say the only 
problem is that there's a lot of scenes in this movie where he they kind of have the same effect that show that who this character is um so it'd be hard to pick just one um and i do th- i don't think i'd put any of them this high um as good as they are i don't think i think the movie's you know more than the sum of its parts and I, I don't think there's one scene in it that stands out as like oh this is just an all-time great scene um i think it's more about the development of the character and everything but still uh it's a it's it's a good scene it's well well shot well written well edited um i did want to put the quaalude scene on there but i decided to keep it like you know or the drive in the little lamborghini right uh everybody else on petty stocks uh very good scene would have went with the clay quaalude scene uh and i wouldn't have went with red jacket fair um good scene i like the movie a lot um i I don't really like saying this, um, but I do think seven is very high. Um, that's Kirk's job to say that's too high. But um, it's just, yeah, like it's a really good scene. And you're also just great seeing like how it sort of uh, plays out for John. <laughs> yeah, I do like the Did scene. the bullshit come from across the side of Ang- the knee of Angley's Hulk last <laughs> week? What are you talking about? You're gonna talk about number. Why don't you sit in the corner and bring up your bullshit? Don't throw them across at number one this entire time. How about that, Jake? How about you sit there and shut up? Okay, I do like the scene. Um, the movie's actually not one of my favorite Scorsese movies. I think it's just a lot. Um, but individual scenes, yes, I do like. I do like the scene. You know, again, seeing everyone wild in the background. Um, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, Spike Jones is great in the scene as well. Actually, I was just watching today the actors on actors from Variety that came out today was Carrie Mulligan and Margot Robbie. And Margot Robbie was actually talking about how this was also her favorite scene in The Wolf of Wall Street. So there you go. You have good company, at least, uh, Cody. Hopefully her new movie's better than, you know. All right. Heard uh, things. Jake, number seven. Uh, number seven, it's been yikes a couple of times. We finally get to talk about it. Get to bring back Spider-Man 2. Again, it's the train sequence. Yeah. It's that whole thing. That thing is just incredible. Like, this is cinema. Like, this is just incredible. It's seven. It's, it's not my job, but it's seven. Just <laughs> throwing that out there. <laughs> uh, like, when we think about some of the best sequences in superhero movies... I think collectively as a, as a race, as a human race, we, we decided that this is like one of the best, like the top three greatest scenes in superhero movies ever. <laughs> okay, fuck you. Um, but what I love about the scene is just the build-up. Like at this point, like Peter's lost his powers. He gets them back and it's like he's Doc Ock has, uh, has kidnapped Mary Jane and he goes and gets his suit, which is a humorous scene with J. Jonah Jameson there. Like he admits that Spider-Man was good, which is great. But as you see him going to fight Doc Ock, start, that fight starts out on the building and then it goes onto the train. And that whole train just action sequence, oh my God, is so good. The way they fight on the side of the train, the way they dodge like the bridge, the way he throws him through the bridge and then goes through it and then like hits Doc Ock. And then the whole part where he's like skidding on the road and then was able to fling back up and save the two people. That whole sequence just like watching it as a six year old was the best experience i've ever had in the cinema like i'd always been hyped for the movie when i was young but like watching it in the cinema and seeing like the action especially and i love the action in the first one but seeing it just technically executed better 
was really just absolutely riveting. And as a kid, it's just always fun to watch Spider-Man. Um, but then it goes a step further and Doc Ock pushes the train to just constantly go and it doesn't stop. And he's like, now you got to try and catch this train and then leaves. And it's all just now on Spider-Man, on Peter, because he takes his mask off at a point and realizes that I've got to stop this train. And he has to push himself to the absolute limit to stop the train, like almost killing himself through it. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things that's just so iconic. And I mean, it's sort of memeable with like Toby's face throughout the whole sequence, but I just, I love it. I love that sort of stuff. It's referenced in Into the Spider-Verse. It's one of those parts that everyone just remembers as like, that's what being a superhero is, is saving people. That's part of the the job. And the fact that we get to see him actually save people, I think is a, is a part of why I love the movie is that it realizes like what it is to be a superhero. And you have that whole part where all the civilians catch, catch, um, catch Peter. And then they just got the one guy's like, he's just a kid. Like no one my son, they realize like he's just doing this on his own. Like he doesn't, he doesn't even fully know what he's doing. He's still young and you have the whole part. I mean, it's a little corny, but it works for these movies because that's the whole sort of idea behind them. You have the two kids go, here's your mask. And we won't tell nobody which is a double negative, but um, it's just really great to see just like the sort of, yeah, it's sort of the, the, the civilians of New York that we see throughout um, the Spider-Man trilogy. Like they are characters in and of themselves. Um, There's a great essay by Patrick Willems on YouTube that sort of explores this idea, but just the whole sequence is great. Just incredible action, incredible sort of like just the way he saves and, the whole technical execution of the scene. I just think it's absolutely fantastic. I, this is a scene that I will watch just every now and then on YouTube because of how much I love the scene. It's great. I think I had this next. It was my yeah. 29. Yeah, I had it at 34. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this scene is incredible. One of the greatest action scenes ever put to film and just in superhero movies in general. Uh, it's just... That the battle between him and uh, between Spider-Man and Doc Ock is fantastic, but my favorite part happens after the train has been stopped and uh, he's being carried through uh, the train by the civilians, and uh, that whole se- that that whole exchange with them is probably my favorite part of the scene. Uh, just really moving every time uh, I see it, and then at the very end, Doc Ock just bursts in. Uh, and they all uh, try to protect him by getting in front of him. He's like, okay. And he just okay. splits him. Dr. Uh, Sopranos split. is there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's great. Uh, great, great scene. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I mean, I just love it. I'm not going to go on about it, but I love it because, again, Toby's face, whatever, it's meme to death. You would never see that in a contemporary superhero movie because everything just comes so much easier for them right you don't ever have to see them like stretched to the limits of their power and like exerting themselves in the way that he is um so that's what i love about it the most is like you actually get to see the humanity in this superhero um and yeah that he is just a kid and yeah i was also going to say that the like classic raimi dark humor moment at the end of you're gonna have to go through us or whatever okay and throws him against the wall it's great Cody, you didn't have this? Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a superhero fight scene. It's pretty good. Um, I, nothing, I mean, nothing particularly bad about it, but uh, it's 
not the seventh greatest scene of all time. I don't even know if it's the seventh best superhero fight scene of all time. Uh, but seven super high. Um, 34, wherever you... Scott, you've been bad-mouthing comic book movies like this whole time. And I've been bad bad comic, bad comic yeah. movies. And, yeah. the, and then you uh, have this... Inconsistent movie. is the best thing I can describe Scott for the show. Inconsistent. I don't like bad movies. I like good movies. Oh, Scott! Phantom Menace. We have that on the record, right, sir. We have that on the record. Not a superhero movie. I want it on the record. It's a good movie. Oh, my God. One of those people. What? Yeah. We're, um... I lost my train. What was I going to say? Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there. It's fine. Go back. I, I don't have anything else to say about this. Go back to the other 25 Spider-Man scenes that Jake's brought up and replay that. It's probably the same thing I say about this. Uh, Cody, what are your thoughts? I didn't include it because I knew Jake was on the panel. My thing is, is it a great scene? Yes, I really like it. Um, it's losing steam every time just because it's the most – It's it's copied in every Spider-Man movie moving forward. And it's not his fault to its own, but it's like, ooh, if he stretches 17 webs out one way and 17 the other way, what can he hold? Like, it's just like he has to pull everything together. Um, it was a good of his time, too, because, man, you released this, like, 2007. Not a shot in hell that no one tells who Spider-Man is. That thing is on MySpace tomorrow. Like, no questions. Like, his, his picture is posted everywhere. So it was a product of the time. I think it's great performances. I think it's a great thing. But again, I was here to defend one person, but he decided to start throwing haymakers across the way. Uh, <laughs> and he basically has no arms in the fight, so I'm ready to beat his ass. Terrible. Seven? Seven? But you know what? It's Kirk's decision. Not mine. It's Kirk's. But seven? Ooh, way too high. All right, Scott, give us your number seven. Um, okay, Schindler's List. That's a movie I'm surprised we haven't <laughs> talked about at all, but uh, <laughs> I chose the ending. Um, so the correct scene. Well, here's the no, thing I could get that's what I was going to say. I could get greedy and try to argue that the the I could have you know had one more is part of the ending, but actually, that's not what I'm um, I'm having on my list. Um, I'm having the actual ending, which is the sort of montage of what happened you know after all of this and then specifically more than that the reveal of the real schindler jews um all walking to schindler's grave and you know paying tribute to him um i love it because number one it's the most emotional that i've ever been watching a movie like i can remember my family like looking at me like are you okay when i was watching this because it just destroyed me and even today just even if i just watched it on youtube like it's just and what I love is a few things. First of all, the like text on screen again that explains everything, and it talks about how um, they planted that tree in, in tribute to Oscar Schindler, and then it just says it grows there still, and it you know that text remains on the screen as as you see all of the the you know pe the Jews walking across the field, and then it it changes the color, and you see all of them real, and just that it grows there still is such a powerful. Um, last sort of line in the movie. Then obviously the reveal like from the black and white of the movie to the bright color of all of these people on the beach um, is, you know, stark for a reason because I think somehow amidst all of this because Spielberg is Spielberg and he's a crowd pleaser, right? He somehow finds a moment of like hope amidst the 
worst event in human history, which is that this one guy, Oscar Schindler, was able to create, generate, like generations exist because of this man and what he was able to do. And just seeing that, like, again, you, you're, you are seeing it in process for the whole movie, but then actually seeing the effects of that and all of the people and the fact that, you know, it's not just the, the people he helped, but now they have families and they've multiplied. And the effect that one person can have, again, it's, a, it's an incredible Spielberg moment of finding this moment, of, you know, this reason to find hope amidst the, the worst event in human history. And, you know, seeing all of the people that we've seen throughout the movie accompanied by the actors who played them. And then finally you have Oscar Schindler's widow um, coming in with Liam Neeson and, you know, just all laying tributes to him on the grave. Um, it's just, I don't think any movie will ever be able to capture something like this again, probably. Oh, Scott, you bummed me out. Cause I was uh, ready to talk about, I could have got one more. That's what I thought we were going to discuss here. Um, and I think, go for I, it. Honestly, I do think that is a scene. This is this is a great epilogue, um, and I think you know, and I think it's great, you know, just the fact they brought in like the actors and everything. I think it's a great, um, you know, way to wrap up the story. Um, but I don't think it beats the the actual like ending. You know, I mean, not the actual ending, but that the wrapping up of Schindler's story. Uh, you know, when he's leaving the, the factory. Um, yeah, I'm kind of lost because I, I had a lot of stuff to say about that other scene. Um, and this is what I was expecting. But I mean, you're right. I, I'm dumb because this is the actual end. Sorry. Um, no, you're fine. You're fine. I should know what any means. Uh, everybody else on the, uh, the the final scene of Shilu. This... I can't argue. I can't argue. You had the girl in the red coat. You sit over there in the corner. Okay. Um, like, this is, this is, you're, uh, when you describe it that way, you're 100% correct. There's no, there's no shot. I think. Again, I think the other one is probably the more iconic because we all know it, but I think you're correct with picking the Indian. I think that's a, you know, a powerful Indian of the movie. So, yeah, it deserves to be probably the side. Yeah, uh, this scene is perfect. Uh, it's been like, it, it has been a while but, uh, since I've seen it. So remind me, it, do the actors walk alongside the, people yeah. they actually portrayed it okay yeah that, mm -hmm. that's something that i'm remembering for the correctly. most part yeah yeah uh that scene makes me tear up every makes me just sob every time uh there's very few moments in movies that can do that uh it, i just pick my other uh the other scene that i go back to quite often in this movie so yeah no great pick scott all right uh number six jack hey we're about halfway through um just so I've, I've been through these top 100s. Uh, if I suggest that if you're going next, don't be the last person to talk about the uh, the person who went before you because you're going to wear yourself out. Fair. But that said, go ahead, Jack. All right. Uh, number six, it's an it's uh, another yikes from earlier. It's portals slash Avengers Assemble from Avengers Endgame. Uh, and I this, this, yes. This scene fucking rocks. Uh, this is my favorite moment I've ever seen in a theater. Uh, being an MCU fan uh, and loving uh, mo most things in, in the MCU, uh, growing up with it, this film made, it, it just absolutely broke me. Uh, 
the scene in particular, uh, Cap finally at it. Uh, he he, it's Cap's all alone. He's uh, he's alone against Thanos and his entire army. And instead of uh, giving up or anything, he tightens his shield and uh, to his arm and starts walking towards them, knowing he's gonna die. And then, last possible moment, he hears uh, Sam Falcon in his ear and says, on your left, the first portal opens, Black Panther walks out, and it's a beautiful moment when uh, Sylvester's score kicks in. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite pieces of score in any film is this moment here. Uh, there's... There's not much, uh, there, there's not many uh, moments where just hearing the music will m make me tear up. Uh, this is a scene that it, it it's it's the most beautiful and best way they could have uh, they could have ended this this film uh, and or to to bring everyone back. It's perfect. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> Yeah, this is the moment where I wondered for a brief moment if the MCU might actually be all worth it because uh, it was, it, it was, uh, it it really did hit me despite the fact that I didn't care a whole lot for the characters or a lot of the movies that came before this. Um, I think it's actually it's also a well directed action scene to be honest with you to give the Russos some credit because they're able to contextualize everything um, on such a large scale with so many characters and everything like you you kind of know where everyone is what they're doing what you know um all of that all the time which is you know actually impressive to do but um that's the last good thing i'll say about them but yeah it you know you knew that they were going to bring everyone back right there wasn't really any um suspense there and in, in what they were how they were going to bring it or, you know the fact that they were going to bring everyone back so i think that makes it more impressive that they were able to do it in such a satisfying way when you're sitting there the whole movie waiting for it the fact that it still hits as hard as it does um you know it, it's it's great and you know avengers symbol and all that and everything that comes after it um it's by far the highlight of the mcu and a high that i feel firmly confident in saying that they are never going to hit again and that they should really just stop trying just those two yeah i mean yeah. it's a great i mean it's a great moment it's been talked about to death um not much more we could say about it just just the build up and getting here and you know the minute with cap it's not my favorite scene in the movie um it's like the best uh fist pumping scene in the movie but it's not my favorite scene in the movie um i think you know six is super high um even if you have a connection to the mcu i think it's super high Scott, where did you have it at? Uh, I had it like my 80s or 90s. It was, that, uh, I, that, that's it was a like lot. Episode one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot more acceptable to, to to have it up there. I think that's a good honorable mention type of type of scene. Um, not that it's bad. Um, I just feel like it's um, I don't know. It's, it, 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 there, there's a lot a lot of baggage to it. Uh, Jake and Cody don't seem impressed. I'm just, I'm, I'm just so like, Scott. I'm proud of you. Like, I'm so proud of you. Like, that your moral, like, 
where it stands and where it falls. Like, oh, the MCU is a pile of shit, but man, I'm really glad that I'm pumped up when portals happen and all these characters that don't give a shit come out. Like, that makes no sense to me, but to us. And Jack gets moved by... Jack gets moved by every scene, and it's all incredible. So I'm proud of him that he likes the easy do entertainment films. This is just this is not like of the MCU. Yes, it's cool to see them all come out of the portals, like I guess, but it's not my favorite scene in the movie at all. I don't love Endgame as much as everybody else, but I think the three way fight between um, uh, Iron Man, Cap, and Thor against Thanos is by far like the most like let's fucking go when they all walk towards him that's what i'm fully engaged um it's just a typical you know you know fandom fanboy pick and i forgot apparently i forgot jack already had two lord of the rings movies so unless a hobbit is showing up there's only one so i don't know what the other one could be that's gonna be battle of the five armies baby let's go 1978 lord of the rings Oh yeah! So wow. Go ahead. Random fanboy pick. If I picked it. (laughs) Well, yes, yes, yes. I can. You make no sense. You're inconsistent. You are so inconsistent. I contain multitudes, Cody. You're like a guardian. It makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. This is like. I mean, I do agree. Watching this in the cinema, like opening day, and getting like the whole. (laughs) <laughs> the whole audience reaction is, is is a great experience. Like for my uh, cinema, when Spider Man showed up, that was like a massive fucking cheer. Um, but this is not cinema. Of course, AC said so. Thank you. It's true. It is true. Um, it is more of a roller coaster. Uh, but that being said, it is fun being on a roller coaster. It's fun that experience, and it's very similar I to being fucking breaks in down. The <laughs> and watching this scene. It's great, and I, it's always. It was always one of those things where, like, as a kid, you're like, oh, it'd be so cool to see all the superheroes, like, get together and fight the evil villain. Like, um, the fact that it does basically happen in this moment, like, is pretty awesome. Like, this is for the audience. This is for the, the fans. And if you're not a fan, then you're not going to get into it. But if you are, then this is, like, your holy grail. This is the, this is where you fucking cream your pants. Um, and it's okay for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> It's fun. It's, it's, it's Scott's fun. not a fan, but he's a fan of this because he has. Okay, move on. Sorry, we're gonna be here for hours. All right, Jake, what's your number six? Is it Cody's? Uh, it's mine. Oh, Cody, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's all right. Uh, mine. Uh, uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. <laughs> yes. So apartment scene. Um. I think it's the best scene in Pulp Fiction by a large margin for me. Um, probably, probably maybe most iconic. I like the other diner scene and stuff, but um, this when the, they're standing outside the door, the door opens the very first time, and you just see both of them standing there to be college age kids at that time, and two men walk in in suits. How they do not soil themselves instantly is something I like. The intimidation on both their faces, especially Samuel Jackson, as he walks across the apartment, like the one guy takes off his, like puts his shoe on. No, 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 chill, chill. And then like ask him like the dumb questions, like where'd you get the burger from? Even though it's like clearly on the cups and everything around them, and he's just like it's a tasty burger, and like he was going through. 
and then starts talking about what he's there for. And that scene, when the one guy stands up, he's like, just a miscommunication. Like, it's just a blah, blah, blah. And he pulls that gun and shoots his friend. He goes, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? Uh, like, that is, like, a, the moment in the film that I, my jaw, like, dropped. Because when the movie starts, like, you don't know where it's, like, if you don't know anything about it, where it's going to go. And then he starts going through the, and I will not do my terrible Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I will not try to like quote it for you, but like when he talks about the what and what country is that from? Like, what's never got no country I've ever heard of. Uh, and like the intimidation that he sets up and the screw, like the screen talking at him. I just think it's absolutely brilliant how he wasn't, like he was nominated, did not win, but he definitely should. Like I think he is absolutely incredible as Jules. Jules is like one of my favorite movie characters of all time, and like how he like lure like gets them into a sense of comfort around him and just completely. And then when he starts quoting that uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, and you will know my name is the Lord. Like fucking great scene. Like. When it starts happening, like it still brings back the first time I ever watched it. Like, like that is a scene that I keep like kind of tracing, like wanting to see a movie like that, like a scene like that again. It's insane. So yeah, it's a talked about, so I won't talk at nauseum about like what they're wearing and where, he, like when he opens it, it's gold. You know, that's crazy. Jack, you had this. Uh, no, I had the diner scene. Did anybody else have it? He had the opposite. He had the opposite one. Okay. Um. Yeah, and you by the diner scene, you mean the one at the end, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm. This. Yeah, I, I love the scene. Like it's like you said, Cody. It's like it's like these dumb college kids. It's like how do they even get involved in this? I love the fact they just don't address it. It's like these dopey, dumb California, LA college kids just hanging out, and like they are involved in like this giant like crime, you know, caper. Um, and I think there's got to be something to that, but I just love that it, it, it just completely unaddressed. Um, I think it's a great scene. It's a very cool scene. I think the better scene is the diner scene, just because it's like when he starts. Because hearing him say it's great, you know, when he's and like he says just some stuff I say to you know when I'm about to pop somebody. Um, but when he starts really breaking it down and figuring out what it means to him and how it defines him as a person, um, I think that's just more interesting. Um, but this is so much cooler. Like I just love like just that that just the character introduction of finding out about who he is. Um, and I think you know people argue who the main character is. People say like he's the main character of the movie, and I think this kind of make this scene makes the argument like puts so much focus on him. Uh, but yeah, no, both great scenes. Um, again, another movie it'd be hard to go wrong picking a scene from. Uh, everybody else on the uh, the apartment scene. It's a fantastic scene. I think I said this in when we talked about the dining scene, but I, I remember memorizing Ezekiel twenty five seventeen in high school. It was fun to say all the time. Um, this is also just a wonderful monologue that uh, Jackson uh, like just executes perfectly. Uh, am I crazy? Did Nico also do this for the monologue thing on the video store? He did. Oh god, mm. it's oh, hard no. to compare because Nico that? did such a fantastic job. You know, when I think of I think I submitted this before seeing that. If I would have, I would have right. totally crossed it out. Yeah, that's fair. Like, you know, sometimes you gotta Nico just, you know, really delivers. And uh this is not one of those cases. 
Um, this is actually one where I, when I, you know, I made my list and then I looked afterwards and I was like, oh, I didn't have anything from Pulp Fiction on there. It's kind of strange because I do love the movie. Just a few other Tarantino movies have kind of passed it in recent years, but I still think it's, you know, five stars and all that jazz. But um, it's a great scene. Like every single line practically is is quotable. Like it, it is one of those scenes. Like I also love like uh, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? Does he look like a bitch? Um, it's it's great. I mean, the whole thing is just like I said, every line, not just the the Bible verse itself. He just owns the scene. Jackson does. So this scene almost made my list. Uh, it's fantastic. Great pick, Cody. Uh, it's one that I uh, loved that my friends and I loved to, uh, to quote in, uh, in high school. Uh, one specific friend uh, that only, only Cam knows. But uh, it's a, you know, this is a fantastic pick. So good job. I was pretty sure I knew that friend until you said Cam. So I was making sure we're not on the same page. So appreciate it. All right, Jake, uh, number six. <sighs> um, my favorite movie used to be Birdman, and we actually have another Birdman scene on my top one hundred until now. Um, and it's really hard because there's many great scenes. Um, but I'm picking kind of sort of the the scene that sort of represents the entire themes and ideas of the movie, and that's when uh, Regan flies at the uh, third act of Birdman. Um, at this point, Regan uh, is hungover. Uh, he's on the on a, on a ditch in the alley uh, in New York. And the voice in his head, the ego talking to him, is basically trying to get him to relive the glory days as, a, as an actor in the 90s, as a superhero actor. Uh, and it's at this point that Regan essentially just succumbs to his fantasies imagines this whole uh, action sequence taking place with this giant bird um, and then levitates onto the top of a building and then proceeds to fly. And he it's sort of just a really fantastic, fantastical sequence of seeing Regan just sort of uh, fly around New York. Um, I really love the execution of it um, and also the music that plays. I can't remember the piece at the moment, but it's a really nice classical piece of music that plays. Um, but just basically it kind of just deconstructs the idea of like, what is it that you want to be as an actor? Like you can't, you used to be this great big actor making these superhero movies. And now you're trying to do this talky, depressing, philosophical bullshit. Like what, who are you? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? And that's basically what like the ego, the Birdman character is trying to tell Regan. Like, what is it that you're trying to do? Like, you don't want to be this pretentious, like arty actor we had so much success as as birdman as the character it's sort of just him sort of arguing with himself and just like what is it that you want to be um and he doesn't fully exactly know what he's what is going on um i just think that just the execution of it is perfect and i remember watching in the cinema and just being like this is just like i've never seen anything like this and also the fact that this whole design to be one take i think is really great you have the part where Birdman is just walking behind him and just copying every sort of like moment of his walking and just the fact that he just basically just talks to the screen and just is like, you want all the action, you want the blood, like not this depressing philosophical bullshit. 
Um, and I think it's just really good and sort of indicative of what the movie's trying to be. Like it's it's a deconstruction of both the philosophical like art house films and the popcorn blockbuster films. And I think just the idea of like, can we have it both ways? Is there a way that we can just live with having both blockbuster films and art house stuff? Um, I think that's what the kind of the film is really sort of uh, talking about. And I think it does it really well. Um, the scene's just like, is absolutely like just movie like cinema energy i really love the uh the experience of watching it and just the, the magical moment that it really captures jake why isn't birdman your favorite movie anymore uh because i decided donnie dark it was you switch back to birdman um uh no this i i, I really like this movie but this scene is the whole movie is shot so well but it kind of like turns a corner for the better in this scene because you know it's it's kind of like cut, cut to look like one continuous take, um, but it just it's you know a lot of walking and talking and things like that. And at this point, like it becomes like this whole action sequence, and but it continues with that same like one take uh, look to it, um, and it's done really well. Just the flying looks great. Just you know when he's up there, that lady's like, "Is this real or for a film?" For mm-hmm. a film. Uh, just those little touches, and I love the ending. I love the way it cuts to him landing and walking in, and then the cab driver comes up behind. Like you never see the cab, but you see the cab driver. So like you make the connection. I think I think that's so like it's just so brilliantly uh, put together, edited. Um, it's like, just like the rest of the movie is. So um, solid pick. Uh, again, like whole great movie. You can pick a lot of scenes for this. This should be your favorite movie. Everybody else on uh, the regular flying scene for Birdman. Um, I like the scene. I enjoyed the movie. I'm just glad you didn't pick anything involving the critic in this movie critic, because yeah. <laughs> that's easily the worst part. But um, I think the underwear scene is probably just like slightly better for me just because it's I feel like it's the best use of like the one take and everything um, technique. But I do love all the stuff with the, you know, the the Birdman character and the voice that he's doing. And I, I mean, Michael Keaton should have gotten the Oscar. I mean, it, Birdman shouldn't have won best picture, but like, it's so stupid that they gave it to freaking Eddie Redman, <laughs> one of the worst actors, but uh, anyway, Oscars don't matter. Uh, yeah. I too would have went with the scene where he's running around the, the, uh, the outside of the theater in his underwear. Uh, I think that is, a lot of fun, but uh, this is a great scene as well. Not one of my favorite best picture winners, but when I rewatch it eventually, who knows? My opinion could change. It's been like five years since I saw it last. In two years from now, when you cover this movie on Pitch This, can I be yeah. a guest on? Uh, yes, I'm sure we can make that work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to fucking do that. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. All right. Let's uh, sit there and talk about how gay something is. It's weird. <laughs> um, uh, Spence is on the show. Uh, like, that's a bad thing? Hey, that's a, that's a thing. That's not from my opinion. Um, no, it's just weird how they just they, they stop talking about the film altogether. Um, and <laughs> compared to Top Gun Maverick. Um, that, that's I don't love this movie. All right. Uh, so, Scott, number six. Number one ending in movie history it's Before Sunset. <laughs> Yep, I said it. Um, Wait, it's actually it's not 2004. I was gonna say, it's right. So, obviously, has like this sort of ticking clock thing going on for the whole movie because 
um, Jesse and Celine meet, and we know that Jesse has to get to the airport at a certain time because he is going to be leaving Paris. Um, and so they just decide, you know, they're going to start walking and talking, and all of a sudden it just, you know, kicks off just like it did in the first movie, and they fall back into their usual rhythms. But again, Linklater is so smart with the way he sort of like scatters these details throughout the movie, and you learn that both of them are in serious relationships. Jesse's married. He has a child. Celine is in a serious relationship with her boyfriend. Um, and so that introduces like, a, you know, complications into the, um, you know, them being together. It's obviously a different scenario from where they were in the first movie. Um, and so, you know, again, the ticking clock keeps happening and he's, you know, his limo driver or his, you know, chauffeur shows up and he's got to go back to the airport. Well, hold on. We're just going to drive her back to her apartment. And then, OK, they get to the apartment. Uh, I'm just going to walk her inside and they get inside. And the, as they're walking up the stairs, first of all, I love when they're just walking up the stairs in silence. And you just know, like, that he is not leaving that apartment. Um, and they get inside and he talks her into playing a song for um, him, which is, you know, it's a beautiful song and listening to her sing it and then she starts you know she puts on the music and starts dancing and um at this point he's missed his curfew clearly and uh she just says to him you know the most perfect lines of um, baby you are gonna miss that plane and he just goes i know and that's how the movie ends um just again a, a perfect reward for those of us who are you know so invested in the relationship and um you know, I, I think before Sunset's the strongest of the trilogy because of how it uses that ticking clock thing. Um, and the fact that he has to make, you know, this is where he has to make the, the ultimate decision. Is he going to stay? Is he going to be with Celine? Is he going to put his entire rest of his life on the back burner for her? Or, you know, is he going to going to go back to his life, um, you know, back home? And just that simple line of, I know I'm going to miss that plane and I don't care. And Ethan Hawke's face, it's it's perfect. And now I'm going to take my headphones off. <laughs> You're muted. muted. Oh, he's <laughs> muted. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Justice. Pretty amazing that the 10 weeks of the show on a panel with Jake Marigoni, you may have the worst possible take that's been spoken. But this is the greatest ending to a movie of all time. I'm not the only person who would say that. Well, there's a lot of other people are wrong then. And I love the mm. phrase that you use the term ticking clock repeatedly as if something is like actually happening in this movie. Um, that's that's hilarious. Um, yeah, it's just they it's the movie, it's they talk and they talk and then they talk some more and then yeah. they talk in this scene and it just happens to be the the ending of it. And? Like it just more talking. Um so I mean, it's good because it ends out less of talk anymore. That's probably the the, the highlight of it. Um, yeah, no connection to these characters, no care about the relationship. I just want to both shut up. Uh, everybody else on the ending of it before sunset. So I saw this movie literally yesterday, uh, and I loved it. So uh, yeah, it, it, I I was watching it. And in the middle of watching it, I remembered, oh, wait a minute. Scott hasn't had uh, this movie on his top 100 yet. I know he loves it. What's going to be on this top 100? And then as soon as it got to the last scene, I was like, 
Yep. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but no, this this that last scene is great. Uh, I'm I I can't wait to see before midnight in a little bit. We'll see when I get to it. But uh, no, this is currently my favorite out of the two. Yeah. Um, I gotta watch before midnight now just to be a complete. Watch the whole trilogy. Yeah, before midnight's great. Um, yeah, I love the before trilogy. I'm with Scott. Like it's one of the best trilogies ever made. It's the all three are in my favorite, my, my top 100 of all time. I'm actually kind of pissed at myself for not having the ending. On my top 100. I hope that doesn't deduct points, Kirk, because it technically isn't. But I kind of wish it did. But that's okay. Um, yeah, it's just it's a it's a great scene, and I just think the idea that it finally it pays off for this relationship at the very end of the second film, like after the entire first movie of them having this just incredible night together, not being able to be a, be a part of each other's lives, and having this whole movie of them reconciling getting to know each other in the last nine years. And then finally, like Jesse making the choice to be like, this is what I want in my life. I think it's beautiful. I think it's incredible. I don't know if I'll go so far to say it's the best ending of all time, but I think it's pretty great. You could definitely say top 10 for sure. Oh my God. Jake, what, what, what scene would you take off to put this on? Um, one of the Hulk scenes when he escapes with the the Talbot's death with the freeze frame. No, no, no. He doesn't get any points for that. That's tough. That's tough. That's, that, that, that might be a wash. Hey, I um, have to keep the Nick Jay, scene. I have to keep that. Hey, uh, Jack, just when you watch Before Midnight, do it with like a crowd of people, like a bunch of, like it's a good it's a good crowd place to watch it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, I couldn't disagree with Kirk Moore because I love this trilogy. Like, I have only seen it one time, but I really enjoyed it. I just wish that the one thing I was missing was Kirk telling me about, like, what he feels about Ethan Hawke. Because that's my favorite thing, because he, like, despises his character, especially. Um, uh, Again, I've seen it one time, so I do need to revisit it. I would not say greatest ending of all time. No offense, but... That's fine. uh, but great trilogy. I suggest it for mostly anybody except Kirk or Brian or Kaiser. Hmm. Oh, Kaiser, I don't recommend. Kaiser doesn't like this trilogy. No, yeah. like Jurassic Park. Kirk, I don't want to talk Kirk, to Kirk. Kirk, Kirk, is in that, that, Kirk is in hallowed territory with him and Kaiser. Uh, Kaiser has some great things. Like, even Kaiser. Brian, even Brian likes. Shut like up, Kirk. Kirk. You do not agree with that. With what? Kaiser has great film taste. Most of them are. I mean, he has some misses, but he has a lot of hits. Okay, what did you give Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park, two stars. I said, right? yeah, I, said, I said he has some misses, but most of the time the guy's spot on. Also, he hates Spider-Verse more than me. Like, come on. I know we both think it's overrated, but, like, not bad. Man. All right, number five. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, where are we at here? That was Okay, we're halfway through. Yeah. Everybody want to take a break? Officially. Intermission time. No! That's <laughs> on! Uh, Jack, number five. All right. My number five, Jake, I yiked it from you earlier. It's Andy's Escape from the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, possibly the greatest ending in film history. Uh, possibly. Uh, this is not the ending. What? Well, okay, fine. It's fine. There's 10 minutes after this. 20. But... 15. Uh, I, I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna lose my. Oh no! Just fine. About it's in the finale of the film. We'll call it the finale. The uh, I, you'll notice I didn't yes. call it the ending. I said Andy's escape. Whatever. 
Andy's escape. This this scene is incredible. Uh, one easily one of the most satisfying moments in all of film history. Uh, the the reveal uh, when the war, uh, when the warden and Red are in the cell, uh, looking looking around. They're totally clueless. Uh, the warden starts throwing rocks around, and then one goes through the poster uh, of the woman on, on the wall. He pokes his finger through, and it keeps going. And then he eventually reaches his entire arm through and rips the poster off. They reveal this massive hole in the wall, uh, and everything that follows is just perfect. One of the greatest, uh, most uh, satisfying reveals in film history. Uh, I could honestly watch this scene at any point. It's been a minute since I've seen the movie. I forgot there, how much was after the scene. I apologize. Uh, we can tell. But, uh, yeah, this movie's perfect. I need to rewatch it. Um, and I had to say, I think it was 41 or 31. Um, yeah, this is just, like, just absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, I, I, I kind of consider this my normie pick um, because it's, like, not really a movie that I so, I'm, I'm associated with. And I do think the movie's fantastic, but it's not really something I, I talk too much about. Um, but, like, this is just, like, fantastic sequence. I absolutely love the build-up. Like, you think he's going to kill himself. You have the guards enter his room, and it's like, where's the body? And they bring in uh, Red, and he's like, he just disappeared like a fart in the wind. It's great stuff. And then he hits the Hell Welch poster. That whole build-up, you know, you have the part with Morgan Freeman's narration. It's like, you never really notice someone's shoes, and then you see him wearing the nice black shoes. The whole build-up. It's also just great because the movie, it, it happens like two hours, just over, like, you know, two hours into the movie, and to finally see him escape, someone who's, like, absolutely innocent, and I have that moment where he's out and he's like in the rain. And I think the scene that I think the part that really works for the scene is the music. Like I've talked about it before. Thomas Newman's my favorite composer. Should have won the Oscar for this. I'm sorry, Hans Zimmer. But it is just like such a triumphant moment for him to be finally free. And just the fact that it's symbolized by all the rain and him out. And that shot is just like one of the most iconic shots in film history. Um, the whole execution of the whole scene is great. The fact that this is Frank Darabont's like directorial debut is just absolutely insane to me. Um, and the way he's just able to play it so perfectly, I think it's just really like showcases his strengths as a director and a writer. Um, it's great stuff. And the fact that he actually was going through a tunnel full of uh, cow shit is full dedication for uh, Tim Robbins. So yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic and uh, is uh, is great. It was Cody that had the uh, opera music scene, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And that almost um, made my list. Yeah, that's these both those scenes. I think that's the emotional scene, like just like the, you know, the waiting scene. But this the first I remember first time I watched this movie. And when you see that and you're and like you said, Jake, you're just waiting for the worst. Like he's got the rope. He's going to hang himself. Um, when that rock goes through that poster. And they're staring at it. I just love the fact the way the way it works because like they're staring through at they're staring at you baffled and you're staring right back just as completely baffled as they are. Uh, and then slowly it starts to like reveal and like you're trying you know like you're kind of keeping up with the movie and like finally you're like oh my god 
and it clicks what happened. And um, yeah, it's just one of like the most like cathartic, perfect endings after everything he's been through. Um, just so many great payoffs of everything that's been happening throughout the movie. And it just goes back and shows you like this happened and this happened and why he was, what he was up to. And like um, just when they go back and they cut back to that first night and he pokes the hole in the wall. Um, it's just such a, it, it's so, it's so good. Like uh, this is, I know it's not the ending, but whatever you want to call this, like whatever it's storytelling, this part of the movie would be called, um, is just so fantastic. Um, and it's just such a great payoff for, to watching the movie. It's so satisfying because so many of these movies like this, like you don't get the, I don't even want to say happy ending, but like any kind of like satisfaction. Um, and the fact that you're just like completely like, okay, yes, I'm so on board for everything happening here. Um, so yeah, definitely worth top 10. Um, I think Cody's scene would have been worth top 10 too, either one of them. Um, but this is great. Uh, Cody, you did not have it. Scott, you did not have it. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah, he went through a river of shit and came out cleaning out on the other side. Like, it's just, it's like one of those, it's, it's, I didn't put it because I figured somebody else would have it. I have the other two a little higher because I like them a little bit more. But yeah, when he, I, the most underrated character in the entire movie is the warden. I absolutely love the warden in this movie. Like, when he throws, when he goes in the thing and he goes, what about you, Miss uh, Furry Bridges? Like, and throws the rock. And I think the best thing about it, not that he poses over, but you hear the rock travel farther. And, like, the sound that they had, and he's just like, where's he at? It's like, oh, no, you guys are as thick as thieves. I see you walking around all the time. When he just disappear like a fart in the wind? Like, that, and then when he comes through and that rain shot and every, the score kicks in, it's just, it's a, it's a magical scene. Growing up, I never understood why this was like the number one, like IMDb, like why is this movie the number one? And I understand how people are like, there's people that are like, don't give it as credit because it's that. But I think when you think of like movies and stuff, like this is one that just, they just got right. It's just, it's a brilliant movie to me. And I think it works because the two characters you follow the entire time have successful and interesting and complex payoffs. They both have payoffs and it's like, it's like an inspirational kind of thing. Like even though you've been through complete and utter shit and you still don't know, like you, you, you I mean, it's like real that he's not doing it, but like, he's going in there. Like you don't know for the longest time if he's an innocent man or not. Like he seems innocent, but, and then they reveal it. But yeah, great, great. And it deserves to be the same. You, you know what else has two interesting, complex characters that you both get payoffs for at the end? Don't. Don't do it. Before trilogy. But um, this one's good, too. Um, hey, hey Cussler, I, <laughs> I, It's a, you know, it's the best scene from a fantastic movie, but it is one that is just, like, talked about to death, so I don't feel too bad for leaving it off. Yeah. Um, okay, that's everybody. So we're on to uh, Cody's number five. Okay, this is a scene that I have to mute myself or remove myself from um, call. I just have to. I can't do it. Like, it is arguably my one of my favorite scenes. It's in my top five. But, like, it could be in any of these orders. It's just a, on the stand of a few good men. Um... I just, Nicholson's performance in this movie, like, from the first introductions to him to when he takes the stand, is absolutely just brilliant. Um, 
and like we I got I got so me and Scott were on call and we watched it together and like again I suggest watching suggest watching your favorite movie like for a person's favorite movie with them on call because you can like see the excitement when they're watching it but I had to mute myself because I found myself when this scene happened hit, saying the words because it's so ingrained because I I know every word to this thing and I know exactly the motions like and how he does it the scene is except like. I think this is like I love courtroom movies. Um, probably missed my calling in life. I should have like practiced or did something in law. Like I enjoy so much around that. But when he does the, when he does the like, this is such a complex stuff that we don't even understand. Like a military court on top of just a normal court that he has to mind like every P and Q when he's on it. Basically. He ignores all the orders and goes completely bad shit on the guy where he should be thrown into whatever. Like, but when he basically breaks down, like when he uses his words against him on the stand, is like fist pump. Like, fuck yeah! Like he's like the matters could have been taken. Away. No, no, no! Precisely, you said no men take anything into their own hand. If it's an order, it comes directly from you, like, all that stuff. And, like, you talked to the logbooks in that entire script. You want answers? I want the truth. Like, chill. Still, to, like, me saying it right now, like, is absolutely, you can't handle the truth. You cut and, like, when he... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then when he's, like, uh, like, that line, that line is, like, we live in a world the, the uh, walls are guarded by men with guns. Are you going to do it, Lieutenant Lineberg? Like, uh, it's just so good. Um, and then the famous scream was like, you're goddamn right, I did. And just everybody's, like, face on it. And, like, he was like, and it, it's part of the scene, too, but when he gets off, it's like, you're fucked with the wrong right. Like, it's just him and just all the Nicholson greatness. Again, I was on this movie for the longest time. I feel it's a four-star movie. It's five-star scene. I think this movie's absolutely incredible from start to finish. And the scene helps it close it out. So I'll let Scott take it from there. Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, this is like the perfect, the dominoes all falling into place, like in this last scene, because everything has been set up, you know, uh, Downey's testimony blew up. Markinson shot himself. Like, they literally have no one left. And this is the last, like, roll of the dice in every conceivable way. Because not only is it, you know, the last roll of the dice for the case, but it could also be the last roll of the dice for Caffey as a lawyer. Because if he says one thing out of order to this, like, highly ranking military official, he's, like, going to be freaking disbarred, discharged, everything from, you know, his role in the Navy. Um, and so, you know, he's having to play it so carefully, but then, yeah, he, he can't really, um, and there's the moment where he thinks he's got him, right. And he, you know, he, he freezes basically. And Nicholson's like getting up to leave. And then, you know, he's like, hold on, I'm, you know, I'm still questioning you or whatever. And, um, yeah, you know, the, the way that it just slowly builds and so many great little moments, like the him, uh, Nicholson and the judge, Joseph and the judge, like getting into it and the judge being like, you know, you'll address this court as your honor. I'm fairly certain I've earned it um, is so great. And, uh, you know, again, just the way that like, it's like a cool, like mystery type pay payoff because like the little things that you saw earlier in the movie, like, you know, when he looks in Santiago's closet for like five seconds, it's like that ends up 
deciding the whole thing, right? Because he's like, if you know, you say Santiago was going to be transferred off the base, but he, you know, he hadn't called anyone. He hadn't packed the thing. And the way he just leads him into it. So, like, with the seemingly harmless questions about, like, oh, did you pack a change of underwear? Who'd you call, you know? And, you know, what's your sister? You know, you went to dinner with your sister or whatever. What's her name? It's so great. I, it is the all-time courtroom scene, um, the all-time movie, obviously, for me. Um, it's not what real court looks like, but uh, it would be pretty fun if it did. Uh, I mean, what would you know about the court? That's this is real to me. I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had this as my fifty-nine, I believe. Uh, it was a while ago. Uh, this scene is incredible. Uh, Nicholson is at his absolute best here, uh, giving one of the greatest monologues uh, in in movies. Uh, he's he he is the the perfect villain in this movie, uh, and. <sighs> Every, I mean, they covered everything from uh, how Kathy just sets him up uh, and he gets him to, to admit it, it in the courtroom. It's just a brilliant scene. Uh, Sorkin is a phenomenal, one of my favorite writer in Hollywood. And uh, he's, he, he, this is why he's, he's incredible. <laughs> uh, so, perfect scene. Yeah. Sorry. One more thing. But the conceit of the scene is like that they have to get this guy to confess on the stand, right? Which is like the classic, oh, well, that never happens or whatever. It's like the cheesy thing you see in Law and Order where somebody confesses on the stand or whatever. This is like the one example where you actually believe it because this guy is so full of himself and he believes that every single thing he did was right and justified in ordering this code red that you you would honestly believe. Yeah, he would he would say it there on the, the stand and he would be proud of it too because that's just the type of, you know, aggro dude he is. It's great. Yeah, this scene is so good. Um, I, what I love about it is like it's 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 remembered. It's talked about for its big moments. You know, you can't handle the truth. You want me on that wall, you Lieutenant Weinberg. If you if you ever get a chance, look up Kevin Pollock's interview talking about that film of that scene. Um, I won't repeat his line, but it's it's, it's great. You know what he has to say about it. Um, but what I love about it is that just like what what a chess match it is. And all like the really subtle, like Scott said, like everything has to fall in place perfectly and they have to do everything right uh, to, to, to get this to work or everything. It's all going to blow up in their face. Um, and there's one moment where, uh, you know, because when he when just first sits down, he's like, yes, yes, yeah, he's, he's answered the question. Like he's, this is all beneath him. Like he's got this in control. And then, then, you know, Cruz turns and says, I wonder why he wasn't packed. And Jessup's eyes just narrow a little bit and like looks at him. He's like, he might have me here and like it's a look of like frustration but also respect like that's 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 pretty good that's that's a pretty good move and um it's it's, it's just this the game they're playing like everything comes in like like the, the you know him him having that conflict with the conflict with the judge like allows him to push a little harder than he otherwise might be because they, they you know the, the judge is frustrated with Jessup. so every there's so many moving parts in this scene um and i like i said like i know scott this isn't what lauren looks like in the, in the but i feel like this is what you tell me if I'm wrong, but this is like the struggle that lawyers have to like get exactly what they need to happen happen. Um, and yeah, I just love that scene. I'll be feeling like, it tomorrow morning. Let me tell you. <laughs> and, uh, and just like little things, like like that scene where like like you, he gets that point where like the 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 thing about the packing and the phone calls kind of like fizzles on him, and that's what that was his like you know his big blow. 
and he turns around and he looks at he, he looks at Weinberger. Weinberger just like, and he yeah. just turns around. He goes for it. Um, I think this is all time great Tom. Like people talk about like the big Tom Cruise moments in movies. I think this is all time. It's it's not as big and like boisterous as a lot of times, but just him like finally pushing through. Like he gets to that moment where okay, now I could say you ordered the code red. Like if he said it any other time except that exact moment, it probably wouldn't work. And I love that. I love just how fragile, like it's a house of cards he's built. Um, and I love scenes like that. So this is, this is really, really good. Um, Jake, you're the only one who didn't have it. Um, what, uh, what What are your thoughts on it? Are we clear? <laughs> um, no, I, I love the scene. Uh, it was fun watching this on call with, uh, with Cody and, uh, and Scott. And I think Matt was there as well. Um, but it was... Uh, it's a fantastic scene. I kind of wish I did have it, just if I'd known I was going to be the only one to not have this scene on the top 100. Um, it's a fantastic scene. I just think, like, it is, like, it's you almost believe Jessup, like, when he is talking about, like, how he believes that, like, you don't understand, like, what I have to do to keep this country safe, like, what happens and what I have to do to achieve this. Like, it's, it's sort of mesmerizing. I think there's a reason why Nicholson is, like, considered one of the greatest actors ever is because of how he delivers the monologue. Um, it's yeah, it's fantastic. It's hard to like say anything that hasn't been said already. Um, everyone's done a great job with it. It's just a fantastic scene, and yeah, you're goddamn right, I did. All right, uh, Jake, number five. Uh, what is my number five? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna lose now. Oh, yeah, so you're, I one scene from Scott has you a good spot. I don't know, I feel like this is gonna this is gonna really fuck me over. Um, so I, I've already had one scene from Magnolia. But I think as great as that scene is, it's not the best scene in the movie. Because it happens halfway through the movie. We have an Amy Mann song play. And for the first time, all the characters are connected. It's the wise up moment scene from Magnolia. Mm. And Cody is covering because he is scared. And so is Jack. Um, this, I just, watching this for the first time in forever was like this year was um really fucking magical um i remembered why i love this movie so much and it's kind of sort of in this sequence that i think just really speaks to me is the fact that we just have this small little musical moment with all the characters lip syncing to um amy man song yeah amy man song uh, wise up and it starts with melora waters and makes its way all the way to tom cruise and the kid that plays stanley at the end um, I just think it's one of those things where with the movie, because it's an ensemble, all the characters are kind of disconnected. Some of them are associated with each other's, but it's a very loose plot between each characters. And this is sort of the moment where all of them are connected with this moment. All of them have, it's, I wouldn't say it's the, the down, the, the low point for all these characters, but it's sort of the turning point for all of them. And the whole movie deals with the sins of the father and the relationships that the, all of these characters have. And with this sequence, it's just absolutely beautiful to have. It's as simple as all these characters in this one moment singing this song, even though it doesn't make sense on a narrative level. It just works emotionally to a point where you just really feel for these characters. It may also just be the fact that I really love this song and I wish it was on Spotify and not the live version because that's really annoying. But there's the fact that all these characters are connected. And they are singing this beautiful song and just sort of the remorse that all of these characters feel. It truly really is a turning point for all of them. Um, I think it's absolutely wonderful, and I'm very curious to hear what you have to say and why it sucks. Jake, you make it so hard for me because you say these things about these movies and these scenes, and it's so 
heartfelt. Um, and it makes me have to, hard to say what I'd say about him. Um, the scene's kind of dumb and embarrassing. Um, I remember the first time watching this movie, like, I wasn't connected to the, to the movie much at all. Julianne Moore's performance prevented that from happening. Um, but when I got to this scene, I laughed out loud. Like, I was laughing at the movie. Um, just because of how kind of dumb this is. Um, it's remember the uh, the Gail Godot Imagine cover. That this is not the same. No, it, you take that it's back. Very, sir. It's, it's got that same level of cringe. It's very. Um, I think uh, pace is on a delay. Um, yeah, it's got that same <laughs> level of cringe and kind of just like secondhand embarrassment. Um, and I don't mind like weird, like non sequitur stuff in movies. Like I don't even have like a big problem with the frogs. Um, that's just like I, I I can deal with that. But this is just like, hey, we need something to happen. And it's like it's 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 everything that's wrong with these kind of movies. Um, so yeah, everybody else on wise up. Magnolia is the imagine of PK movies. I'm so on board with saying that for now on. Um, again, there's, that's why I like Kirk. Listen, they can pour their heart out and say something moved them to tears and blah, blah, blah. But it's your job as the host to shoot them in the back of the head. Um, so, yeah, good choice. But shit on uh, for you, yeah, it's a terrible choice. Terrible. Five, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Thanks. Uh, I love you. I still haven't seen the movie. You haven't seen it since we talked I say about it with love. Like, no. You could have watched the whole thing. It's only three hours. You would have gone through like two hours of it. Yeah, yeah. It's a great scene, Jake. Good pick. I like that the song like kind of me. You could see it means like something different to everyone kind of, which gets at sort of the randomness aspect of the movie. So, um, yeah, very cool scene. And the Amy Mad music is used, you know, beautifully throughout the movie. All right, Scott, where do you, number five? Weirdly, I also have a sing-along scene. Uh, it just happened to work out this way, but this is maybe the great dude's rock scene. It is the police station sing-along from Rio Bravo. So this scene happens after Joe uh, Burdett, who is the big um gangster that they're waiting basically for him to come to town the whole movie to try to break his brother out of jail um has shown up and um basically he and his men are kind of like waiting outside the police station they're just kind of waiting for their moment to try and attack and you know ambush the the officers and um you know rescue his free his brother basically and um instead of you know just allowing them to do so and and uh you know, leave town peacefully and, and all that. Um, the men in the police station, this is, you know, John Wayne as Chance and um, Dean Martin playing um, Dude and Walter Brennan as Stumpy and Ricky Nelson as Colorado. They're all hanging out in the police station and they just decide to start singing a song, minus John Wayne. He doesn't really participate, but um, they just decide to start singing. And first we hear Dean Martin, who obviously was first of all, a singer, and he sings, um, a, yeah, I know, right, a song called My Rifle, My Pony, and Me, and uh, and then after he finishes, um, Stumpy, Walter Brennan, who's kind of the competent relief character, is like, play something, you know, 
quicker that I can sing along with you. And then Ricky Nelson, who is also a singer, starts playing a, a faster song and they all sing along together. And it's just a perfect moment of like bliss. At, but also in the um, context of the movie, the uh, fact that, you know, the the killers are, you know, the, these hardened criminals are waiting outside, ready to bust in and break, you know, break this guy out of jail. And instead of fleeing or, you know, recognizing that they're outnumbered and outgunned and outwitted, probably, um, they decide to sit there and protect the police station, you know, to the very last minute and just, you know, bro out and sing a couple songs together. Um, it, it represents why this is one of my favorite movies, because um, it is driven by a lot of vibes more so than anything else. Um, so I think it's like just an outstanding, just like such a pure scene of movie magic in a way that is pretty hard to deny. Yeah, leave it to Scott for this to be his Western scene. Um, <laughs> I don't know, like when I first, first time I watched this movie, I don't know if this is how it went down or not. But I totally got the vibe that they were like making the movie, and Dean Martin was like, "I want to sing a song." Yeah. And they were like, "Okay." And then Ricky, well, I want to sing too. So it's like, let's shoehorn a song into the in the movie somewhere, and let's make this like light, like everybody's wait, basically waiting to be murdered, and we'll have them sing this light lighthearted cheery song. Um, in and of itself, like watching, like I went back and watched it, like, oh yeah, it's a fun little scene. But like when you see context of the movie, you're like, what is happening here? Like these guys are all about like these guys have like hours to live and they're singing, Hey, me and my horse and blah blah. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Um it's not a bad seat. Five all time is super crazy high. Um, like I said, out of context, it's not a bad seat. Like I like Dean Martin, I like to listen to Dean Martin sing. Um, but it makes you know it's it's like if you watch like old like sixties or seventies TV shows, like Brady Bunch and like some famous singer would show up playing themselves and they'd like have them sing a song and everybody would sing a song. That's exactly what this scene, scene feels like. Um, anybody else seen Rio Bravo? No. Rio Bravo. I'm really excited to my watch list for next year. All right, we're down to number four. Jack, what do you got? All right, my number four, it's the opening scene from Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. The milk scene? Pardon? Okay. Yeah. Uh, honestly, the greatest opening opening scene of all time. Uh, I guess. Uh, well, you'll see. Greatest opening scene of all time. Christoph Waltz. The, after this scene, I totally understood his uh, Oscar win. Uh, the, he is incredible in this scene. How he just, uh, he's uh, he's a Nazi known as uh, known as the Jew hunter, and uh, he goes to this French house because he knows he's they're hiding Jew, uh, Jewish people there, and uh, he's just he's just having a conversation with this farmer. Uh, this whole time, and then he goes into this monologue about uh, how people uh, view the how, how the Germans view the Jewish people like rats, and how would someone look at a German? Well, the uh, German would be a hawk, uh, 
and they they check all the places the hawk would check they check the attic they check the barn they check uh everywhere but uh th- but i know how to think like a rat and then uh he gives uh he just stares the farmer dead just stares him dead in the eye gives him the coldest stare and says they're hiding your under your floorboards aren't they and at this point they're speaking in english uh so the jewish people don't understand what they're saying and it's just that's the moment where uh you're you just feel cold uh and it's just one of the greatest most tense opening scenes in film history i love it so much who had it next anybody else have this i did yeah this is my 67. um not my favorite scene in the movie but um i do love it um and yeah it is it is a master class and you know it, it is one of tarantino's great sort of dialogue set pieces of like where everything just starts off and everything's normal and you know um innocuous and then all of a sudden just slowly and he starts revealing the details to you you know he reveals that they're at, the dreyfuses are actually hiding under the floorboards and the way that that um builds obviously is fantastic and just christoph Waltz like being so like droll and like weird like drinking the milk is such like a strange thing to do pulling out this giant pipe is such a strange thing to do like he's just he's unsettling you even what before like you actually get to the truly unsettling part of the scene and then like shoshana's running away and like he he like points his gun and like you wonder for a second like is he actually gonna try it like shoot her and and you know honestly you think he probably could have right he probably could have shot and killed her but as we learn about this character he loves the hunt more than anything and um and so he sees that as another business opportunity for him and so he doesn't shoot he lets her get away um but obviously he's we know he's going to follow up on that later but yeah it's uh it's an amazing scene and just a sort of tonally perfect way of like flitting between horror and something a little bit you know lighter that i think perfectly captures the movie that we are about to see um yeah we've talked a lot about scenes that like build tension and suspense and just like drag it out and just like kind of like kill you with that and this is just a master class in doing that um everything i just love the score that marconi score with like the the beethoven sprinkled in um, just that opening crawl, you know, once upon a time in Nazi-occupied France, just a great way to start the movie. And um, just from the, 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 you see the vehicles off the disc, just the guys reaction, you know, everything's wrong and everything, something bad's about to happen. And it just goes on and on. I tried to show my wife this movie and she didn't make it past this scene. It was just too much for her. Um, and yeah, just like how you see coming in, just a great character introduction. You, you get to know this guy, talk to him, and you find out it's like, yeah, it's it's about the job. Like he's not necessarily a loyal Nazi. Like he doesn't care about there's no cause. Like he doesn't particularly hate Jewish people. Like he's just like this is like he gets he has this opportunity to hunt people, um, which is just like his skill set and like it's just what he's good at. So he's going to do it. Um, and then yeah, he's just there like that whole drawn out the conversation and him you know being you know how just how overly polite he is and everything and then he, he gets up and he's like it's like he's almost done it's like in, it's, he's like this anti-columbo where you think oh, you minute oh maybe you know, they just get away one more thing. yeah exactly just just one more thing and um you know he sits back down that's like where where jack uh, jack referred to where he like he's like okay and then you just and then you just see like he has that like cherry like you know cordial smile and then his face just goes dead they're on the floorboards aren't they like on a you know 
flip of a switch and he's just all business um and uh yeah it's just he's just such a terrifying character but just the way the scene is you know scripted and shot um just so great um again barrett we talked about before embarrassment of riches for scenes from this movie um but this is definitely top 10 worthy uh cody and jake did not have it go ahead yes um, I didn't include it for the simple reason, like I said before, I knew it was going to be on here. It's a talked about scene, but if you talk about like opening shots, just like a still from this, I think it's like one of the most like, like uh, iconic openings. Again, I don't know if I'm right, or, but at some point during the conversation, they show the people underneath the yeah. floorboards, right? Like yeah. there's the initial like, you know which that. helps the, which helps the attention of the situation grow, and it's what Waltz is able to create. The, the the thing of like kind of like unexpected guest not wanting them there but how that tension slowly starts to grow and the increase of the music and the increase of like him how the sound like any little sound like it basically the the, vo- the void of sound in that like house you can almost hear anything that's going like so like you have to be extra quiet but how he's just like able to keep talking and revealing more and more and you know like it's a panic filled scene i think it's i think arguably if i had to pick like top 10 opening scenes of all time i guarantee this is pinned in the top like three it's just insane um what he's able to accomplish in this movie and what waltz is able to do as that character too because he he basically lures you in and gives you a piece of security and then basically rips the blanket right you know takes you down with it it's crazy so that's the only reason i didn't have it it definitely deserves to be on this list no problem uh tarantino is a, a master when it comes to opening his his films like i can't even think of a single movie that doesn't have like an engaging opening to be honest um yeah. this is a great scene i love the opening it's fantastic it's one of those things where i was just i wanted to put it on my top 100 but I know I knew someone was gonna have it, and I just had a feeling where it's just like I love the scene, and I think it's fantastic. But it's also a scene that has been talked about so often. I just don't know what I would really bring to the scene and what I would really talk about. Um, but it is like a fantastic scene. I just love the moment when he's able to get the uh, the farmer to crack and like reveal like, do you have you know juice under the uh, under the floorboards? And then that whole moment, I just think is so like executed perfectly. All right, uh, Cody, you number four. I think it's been yikes before. Um, it's juror number three, the finale of Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. Um, uh, Lee J. Cobb, Lee J. Cobb's performance um, is a masterclass. Um, I also have a personal connection with this movie. Like, I've directed the play. I've also been in the play. So it's like. This movie has like surrounded and play has surrounded me for a long time. Um, and juror number three is just like the speech he gives at the end is basically like again the beginning of the movie where it's basically you know eleven one will be here as long as you need. Well, basically, I love how it transitions because it's like oh come on, we know he's guilty, blah blah, and then when he's the eleven to one. And Henry Fonda hits him with a, we'll take as long as you need. We need to hear your arguments. 
I've told you my arguments. And he starts running through. What about the knife? The knife? Just because he had a separate one? The old man saw it. It was clear. Oh, the woman? Who knows she didn't have her glasses on? You don't know that? And, like, how he breaks down. And then he's like, he basically looks at the picture of his son in his wallet. He's like, your kids, you work your whole life. And they take, they don't, they don't respect you. They don't love you after everything you've done for them, the work you did. So basically, it shows like the prejudice he's holding against this kid for his own son. And you just think of that. The brilliance about this scene is one: the rain is the best score that could ever be for this movie. It sounds louder than ever when they reveal. I've changed my mind. I'm not guilty. It's eleven to one, and you just hear the downpour outside you've heard it the whole movie but it's more clear now than ever that everything is against jerk number three and i think it's just his acting how this movie i know he's saying a lot how this movie did not get like the oscar was crazy of the time that he didn't get it like he is absolutely a master class and just the passion and the anger you believe everything he says i think it's a, i think it's a scene yeah, this was my 27. Perfect, perfect scene. Uh, Lee J. Cobb is truly incredible in this moment. Uh, unbelievable he wasn't even nominated, I don't think, for this movie. And that's utter bullshit. Uh, <laughs> so, no, uh, this, Cody said it all. This scene is perfect. Uh, <laughs> I've got nothing else to add. Yes, I was went back and watched this scene. I was thinking about the movie as a whole, like what scene I would pick and if if I'd be able to. Um, because the movie, I mean, it's hard to break it down even to what the scenes are because it's just one continuous thing going you know. Um, but I think this is a solid pick, and it's because I think this is probably the best acting uh, in a movie filled with you know monologues and mini monologues. I think this is just like the best showcase of any one of the actors. Um, and it's so good. Yeah, I just love how it's th th just the reversal from the beginning where, you know, it's fun. To... And the one thing I don't like about it is like, and, and it's a nitpick, but I feel like Fonda up at this point has kind of been dispassionate. And it just, I get the vibe that like his character is like reveling a little bit too much. He's like, you're alone. Like he's reveling a little bit too much in the, 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 the reversal. Um, but I mean, that's not a big deal. Um but yeah, he Lee J. Cobb is just so good in like like Cody everything Cody said in his performance. And Outbreak said I love the fact that like it all comes down. It's not like some like major deep seated president uh prejudice or anything like that. Uh it's just it's just you know, the vendetta he personally has against his kid and how he's projecting that onto this case. And you know how that almost cost somebody his life uh, their life. Um so yeah, no, I mean it's it's hard it is a hard movie to pick things like this from um but it deserves to be somewhere on a list and uh this is probably you know this is better than pretty much anything else you can pick uh or just as good at least uh scott and jake on the scene um i'll just go first just because i'm next um i think this scene is fantastic this is probably my favorite scene from the movie i absolutely love the way that Jiro three just like breaks down and just sort of the moment that he has with his son sort of that sort of comes out of him and I think that's really beautiful. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of father and son relationships. I mean, I, not to meme to bring it back, but Hulk is a huge part of why I love that movie is the father and son relationship in that film. Um, but that's like such a, an emotional like moment for Lee Jacob 
in the film where he just has, I think it's, he has the photo of his son and he's just like, you can see like the tears in his eyes as sort of forming. And then when he finally says not guilty, I think it's just really great. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Well, when you say that, I just pictured Nick Nolte looking down at a picture of Bruce Banner. <laughs> but no, you work your whole life. I'm your father, Bruce. I did the experiment. Um, yeah, I mean, Nothing else can be said about this movie, really, that hasn't already been said in the community, for sure. But I do think this is an example of, like, a moment that could have been, you know, acting. And obviously it's a play um, to begin with. But he just is able to find all the sort of bright notes of humanity in it that just make it ten times more powerful. So, I credit Lamette pick. It, it belongs on the, the list. I, th- I credit Lamette fully for that. I think sure. he knows how to do actors in these kind of situations and um you know just get exactly the right kind of performance out of them uh so that was cody's number four so jake yep your turn uh i believe jack was the one to yikes this well i yikes this from jack's initial list um earlier uh yes pacing you do need to watch hulk um i am talking about uh one of the best scenes in an animated film ever and that is anton's review in ratatouille um talk about just a scene in a kid's movie that blew my fucking mind as a kid i remember watching this movie and being like i was interested and it's my favorite pixar still and probably forever um but watching as a kid like it's a kid's film quote unquote and when it gets to this third act when you have anton eating the ratatouille and hit flashing back to his like childhood memories and that whole monologue he has of his review at gusto's i just remember watching that and going this doesn't feel like a kid's movie. Like, I feel like I'm watching an adult movie with core ideas that are being expressed. And I think I love Brad Bird and the fact that he was able to really play with that in this movie. There's just the idea that everything that I love about art is in this scene. Like, what is art to everyone? Like, it's what we take away. It's what we see something and we get an emotion, an expression, an idea, a thought. That That, that is art. And the fact that he goes into this, like, what is criticism? Like, we love, we strive upon bad criticism because it reads well, because it's popular with people. But, like, what do we do as critics? And just, like, the idea of valuing criticism, both negative and positive, throughout the movie. And the fact that Anton Ego has always been against Gusto because he doesn't believe in the quote, anyone can cook. That's how the movie opens. And the fact that he finds out that a rat is the one that cooks the ratatouille, the one that unlocks this core memory for him, sort of broadens his horizon, that realizes what it means anyone can cook. And then my favorite line in film history, not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. And the fact that he says that and that rev- that revelation not only unlocks the character's sort of point of view, but really broadens the audience's sort of perspective on what it is to be an artist. We may not become a great artist, but we can definitely create art. Anyone can do that. And that's the idea behind anyone can cook. I just think it's absolutely beautiful. And the way it plays out, just it just it makes me just in awe, inspired by the film. I have always loved the movie as a kid, and I will continue to love it as an adult. It's my favorite Pixar movie. It's my one of my favorite anime movies ever. It really just holds a personal place in my heart of just the value of art and criticism and what it really means. To be an artist. 
Yeah, this was, uh, I believe, in my 40s. Um, the scene is fantastic. It only gets better. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's only gotten better for me as I've gotten older. And uh, I really love, uh, like Jake mentioned the quote already, but uh, not, not everyone can be a great artist but a great artist can come from anywhere is i love that so much uh it's a beautiful monologue delivered uh brilliant uh just absolutely brilliantly by o'toole uh he's incredible in this movie uh yeah no it's it's one of my favorite animated uh, uh scenes like one of my favorite scenes in all of animation brilliant moment sorry Kirk. Oh, I'm gonna get so much crap for this. Deserve this. Yeah, I, I, I got. I gotta be honest. Um, you know, they bring him the ratatouille, and it sparks the memory when he was a poor kid, and he's eating the same thing. So, the lesson, the takeaway from this movie is, whatever crap they feed you is fine, as long as the same crap they fed you when you were a kid. <laughs> And what a, what, a, what a shock that it's Disney trying to sell you on that idea. The, the company that built a, a theme park empire on adults who are desperate to relive their childhood. A company, a, a company that makes a billion dollars every time they put out a lazy, cheap remake of a movie you liked when you were a kid. Um, nostalgia is poison. And um, yeah, Anton Ego was a good character until this scene. Uh, everybody, uh, Scott and Cody on this one. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me listen, I'm wrong. Listen, you're wrong. I, I will. I mean, I, I look, I will be the first to criticize Disney. Kirk, it kind of seems like you started with the conclusion you wanted to draw and then worked backwards a little bit on that one. Uh, because I'm not really, really seeing that, but, um, I, I agree with, with Jake. And honestly, thinking about it now, I had the scene from Toy Story 3 on there, but I think I would have put this instead just as, because I think it is the best Pixar scene. And um, yeah, I, you know, not a lot of animated movies connect with me, but because this one, you know, speaks to something deeper for a kid's movie, I do think um, it gets there. And um, even the, I mean, th this scene, I feel like is, it's already being... Uh, copied or let's say not copied but you know mimicked and there's a movie out right now i'm not going to spoil it because not everyone's seen it but there's a movie out right now that actually kind of has the anton ego ending yes it, it does um, wait, wait. and it's yep. great but anyway um again i'm not going to say, I'm not gonna say anything more than that but it's an influential scene because it is um you know it, it's able to do like the the critic thing of like the critic self-reflecting but not in a way that like diminishes the progression of criticism. Like, you know, he doesn't take, Brad Bird doesn't take like the easy route of like, oh, well, I just realized now that I'm living a miserable life as a critic because they, you know, hate everything and they're just miserable people or whatever. No, it's, it's a far more nuanced take than that. That's all I'll say. I... There's a theory about the scene in Ratatouille that I kind of like get now that I've said basically that he's inside the kitchen of like he watches uh, Anton's like mom cook 
and that's why he's able to go to the dish and make the thing because if they go back the shotgun and everything they're in the side the when they do the flashback it's the exact same kitchen i don't know if that's true but it's an interesting theory to have about it um i like this movie a lot i mean i have kids they love watching the same movies all the time um this is a popular one um i don't love it as much as everybody else I mean, it's not my like top 10 it might be my top 10 it's not my top five um but i can't say the movie's not good but the way kirk's talked i can kind of see it i'm kind of see it i'm not saying you're right but i'm not saying you're wrong <laughs> You know, you're, you're, you're poor, you eat you're not rice wrong. and you're chicken, and then wrong. all of a sudden you, you try rice and chicken for somebody else, you're like, not every single my mom made you imagine as a child, Kurt, it's this specific Kurt. meal. But. I'll put it this way, Kurt, you're not wrong. Two hours and 39 minutes. Right. Two hours and 39 minutes. Uh, Scott. Scott. Uh, well, Payson's going to get the answer to the question that he asked a few minutes ago, because my number four is the speakeasy scene from Inglorious Bastards. Um, kind of the same sort of thing with... I don't think so. Kind of the same sort of thing with the opening scene of, again, being this other dialogue-driven set piece, but I just love what he's doing a little bit more in this one. Like, the instant chaos, first of all, of them like getting there and realizing, oh, their plan's already screwed up because there's all these people here. There's all these Germans here. And, um, you know, they're celebrating the birth of this one guy's kid. And um, it's just unsettling you a little bit from the beginning, right? Even though Bridget's there, she's like, oh, everything's fine, whatever. Just, you know, we'll sit over here. We'll have our conversation like we're supposed to. Um, it, there's too much going on. It's just like, a little busy a little chaotic and like you're just already thinking about the fact that it could spiral out of control from like the second the scene starts and then it's like they start playing the game right or no you know we're gonna just play one round or whatever just so everyone feels comfortable and easy and then we can have a conversation and they're playing the heads up game and everything and then you know the one soldier comes and joins them august deals character and he uh he seems a little I guess of them. Uh, maybe he doesn't know exactly know why, but he starts playing the game with them, and um, he's like being a little intense and you know, kind of forcing himself into the situation. And um, you know, it's it's everything's building. It's you know, it's continuing to build. Um, and then of course we have Michael Fassbender doing the three fingers uh, and giving himself away, not realizing it at first. Uh, then, but then August Steele waiting for the you know perfect moment to reveal that he knows, um, you know that he's not German basically, and um, you know he's asking those probing questions like, oh, you know, where are you from or whatever, and um, he's you know Fassbender's trying to answer them the best he can, but um, eventually, um, you know he points the gun and it's like, well, you know, but then Hugo Stiglitz also has his gun pointed at, um, at August deals crotch. And so they're in this standoff and you know, what's about to happen. But I mean, Fassbender gets like maybe the greatest line in the movie when he's just like, he drops the German and is like, well, oh boy, if this is it, I hope you don't mind if we go out speaking the Kings. Um, it's an incredible line. Um, and Fassbender is just, he, he has so little screen time, unfortunately, but like he just destroys it um, in his small role um, in this movie. 
And then just the explosion of violence, the say off leaders into your Nazi balls and then the explosion of violence. I mean, you just don't even know what's going on. Everybody's getting shot, you know, um, killed and it's just chaos. Um, and then also like the final standoff that happened sort of between the one guy, the dad and, um, you know, the bastards who are kind of uh, lurking in the background. And Bridget, like being alive and I'm alive. And uh, and then, you know, obviously the Christoph Waltz finds the shoe, but um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's probably the greatest, like for me scene of just building tension and then a satisfying payoff to it as well. Yeah, no, this is another great scene from this movie. Um, it's yeah. It, I, I love the fact, like, like you said, they walk in and it's already gone on hell and then like, it just, okay, let's, and then like, it, it seems like they're digging their way out. And there's two spots, like there's that scene where it's like, you know, they kind of just, you know, they're able to blow the other soldiers off by pulling rank. It's like, you know, you don't get to see it, you can talk to us, go away. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, sigh of relief. And then they pan back to the other, um, the the officer sitting there. And it's like, okay, now they can't play, they can't play that game with him. Or they can't, you know, they can't use that excuse with him. And so, um, you know, he comes and we, and I love the fact that we've already been introduced to this character. We don't know much about him, but we know he's not a good guy. We know he's dangerous. Um, so he, so he comes up and then they're talking and everything's fine. And then it's like, okay, another sigh of relief. We're going to get out of this. And then, uh, and I love the fact that introducing, uh, Fassbender's character, uh, Archie Hickok, the way they do is they make you think this is going to be a main character. So you assume they're getting out safe. Like, like yeah. the, this needs th- this needs to work for the movie to continue, and for these characters to keep going. So like, oh yeah, somehow they're going to get out of this. Um, so you bring something. Okay, that's how they're going to get out. You know, they, they they satisfy him, and then he throws up his fingers. And I read it differently, Scott. I know you said you didn't think Hickok realized that. It seems to me like he realized, like him, the officer, and Bridget all know as soon as he does it. Like he's like, yeah, like maybe and they all kind of drop. Like at that moment, all three of them know they're dead. Like no one's gonna know this from a lot, and um, so they have that like give and take. And like you said, that's a great moment. He's like speaking to the king. He's like great scotch. It's 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 a, it's a sandwich uh, to to waste great scotch. And uh, since we would be knocking on the door uh, pretty soon, and he drinks it, it's like very good, sir. Good stuff. And um, just that that moment of like camaraderie between the two of them when they know like the situation they're both in. Like no matter, he, I think he even says like no matter what happens, either of us are walking out of this room. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then like just like you said, just everybody just, just explodes into like and like they've kind of gotten you like connected like to the, these other characters. So like oh, yeah. when people when they start dropping, you're like, oh my god, like what, what the heck's happening? And even like the kid guy who just had a had a kid, like you kind of like like this guy just you know he just had a baby, and you know then he just gets like dispatched immediately. Um, so yeah, so much good stuff. To answer uh, Payson's question, honestly, it's a cop up, but it's probably whatever scene scene I'm watching at the time. Um, I think the opening scene is better for like just pure tension and build up, um, and you know Landa is just such a great showcase for that actor. Um, but this scene, I think I have more like I'm more invested in the characters, so I'm coming at it from a different way. Um, so I really don't have. I, it's hard for me to say which one's my favorite, but uh, uh, this one, I maybe a little bit this one, but not by much. Uh, everybody else on the speaking scene, the worst about it. Uh, this is a great scene. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a scene I thought of a lot. Uh, in, like in the couple months after I saw this movie for the first time, uh, 
And upon rewatches of the movie and uh, more time, uh, the opening scene has stuck with me more. But this is still a fantastic pick. So good one. I just really want one time for Jack to say this scene fucking sucks. Um, anyways, because uh, everything's great or comic. Um, I like this scene a lot. Uh, if I had to pick, uh, we all pick great scenes from this movie. It's a dealer's choice of like what scene you can pick from. Um, you know, fighting in the fucking basement basically is where it listens to results, which is great. You so, got the problem uh, with fighting in the basement? You're fighting in the fucking basement. Um, great, great, great scene. Great. Yeah, I think all three that have been brought up are very valid. Um, yeah, I I like. I like the scene. I do love the reveal of the when he gives the three fingers. That's wrong. Um, I also just love the moment with Officer Wilhelm and like this old kid, and then he gets killed. It's unfortunate, but that's just what happens. It's a good scene. I think I just prefer the opening scene and the uh, the cinema scene. That whole ending, just more. Like I said, you can't go wrong. You pick any. Yeah, there's any this movie that's golden. Uh, all right, down to the final three. Uh, Jack, what do you got? All right. Uh, this is what I genuinely believe to be Spielberg's best directed scene, and it's without question one of the hardest scenes for me to watch. It's the D-Day opening Ready. in oh. St. Driver Ryan. <laughs> I thought it was Ready Player One. Yeah. No. No. Don't worry, I'm... Uh, <laughs> are you kidding? It's the terminal. Uh, no, uh, it, it's in Predator Ryan. Trashing uh, vibes. Uh, Jack just got first place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not for long. <laughs> anyway, uh, this scene is fantastic. Uh, it took me three separate attempts to get through this full scene. Uh, it First, first two times I threw up uh, and had to stop. They're not really dying. What? The They're not really dying. Just to let you know. They just feel we're getting killed. In my defense, first Same time. Ryan's a movie. It's not real. Oh, yeah, shut up. I can the still. The events that takes place are real. It's almost, almost 11, guys. It's almost 11. Uh, a movie can still. It's only two hours and 48 minutes. Oh, shut the fuck up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Let me finish. Uh, this scene is incredible uh, for everything uh, from the moment uh, they arrive on the beach to when the hatches open and the first dozen or so guys just get riddled with bullets and they're jumping over the sides. A lot of them are sinking. It's just a brutal uh, recreation of the, of the D-Day landing. Uh, and I, it's a, uh, it's a scene that I struggle to get through, uh, even now after having seen the full thing. It's, it's just brutal. Um, yeah, I didn't consider this just because it's so long. I think of it more. I'm not going to knock you for this, but I think of it more of a of a segment than a, than it is a scene. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's a. Uh, it's great. It's fantastic. I mean, you like when it when it came out. I remember you know hearing the interviews with the the actual veterans from from from, uh, from D Day and you know them saying how accurate it was. 
yeah, it's devastating. Just just the the immense loss of life and just how how quickly it goes. Just just moments like, you know, the guy, I always remember the the guy gets shot in his head, you know, or in the helmet, and it you know glances off, and he's like lucky bastard, and he like turns around, takes the helmet, and just gets shot, and he's dead. Um, but yeah, it's 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 devastating. I mean, I really don't have much more to say about it. it just it, it, you know, it's it's a very accurate uh, recreation of what on that day. Um, so yeah. I, it's it, it, it's it's a worthy of being on the list just just because of uh, how well it recreates it, how well it's shot, um, and the acting too. Everybody's you know watching Hanks like introduced him and the shaking and everything kind of like builds his character. Um, so yeah, uh, good pick. Everybody else on D Day. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know we could pick thirty minute scenes, but at that point, <laughs> like. It's long as hell. Are we it gonna really argue that? But it's not thirty. Like how long are we doing the beach where the with? Oh gosh, whatever. You're wrong. Um, it's if you circle like iconic scenes, Jack did a good job of putting it three. Like I don't know how many times you just want to pop on the scene of D Day and watch the little D. I never said, I never out, said that for this one. You put it at three. Just saying. Um, that's all right. Yeah, I'll stop there. It's late. You're wrong. I do like the scene a lot. Um, it has been like a minute since I've seen Saving Private Ryan. Um, I, th- I think the execution and just like the structure that Spielberg sort of like uh, creates for the scene is like incredible. Um, it's just weird to me that like Spielberg made this movie in the way he was able to present like the sort of uh, subjectivity of the soldiers. Um, but it's a great scene. It's just, it's, I kind of see it as a number three for Jack Pincher, um, but I would never have it at number three. That's my personal thing. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. It's just, it's also one of the things where it's like, if, if a scene is 20 minutes long, that's just how long the scene is. If a scene is a 30 seconds long, that's how it is. It's just, I mean, like I said, I'm not, I'm not docking on points for the length of the scene. I'm just saying yeah, that's why yeah. I did like consider it as something to potentially be on the list. Fair. It's more, I guess it's more of a sequence than a scene, but that's, yeah, Twitch is on. That's it. that's the next top one hundred on wireless top one hundred sequences. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's a great scene. I mean, there's nothing really to add except I will say when you, everyone watches Fablemans, which you should because it's amazing. Um, there's I'm waiting for it to cool, come out. It hasn't come out yet. There's a pretty cool um, moment where he makes his war film, and they're watching it as a kid, and the scene is very reminiscent of Saving Private Ryan. So you can see of the opening of Saving Private Ryan. So you can see. Him, uh, the seeds of that being planted from him being young, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, all right, uh, Cody, number three. Um, I'll make this quick. Uh, three, the diner scene from Heat. Yikes! Wow! All right. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, Jake, what's your number three? Oh boy! <laughs> so, guys. Oh no. We've had we've had many Spider-Man scenes. But we're at the we're at the end of the tunnel. We can see the light. This is it. This is the last scene from any Spider-Man film. Are you sure? It's a scene that I've always loved and has sort of grown on me as the years have gone by. It's the final battle in the first Spider-Man. I'm specifically talking about Spider-Man has saved the people on the bridge and Mary Jane, Green Goblin. They have the whole battle 
in the uh, the abandoned building. He gets a pumpkin bomb to the fucking face. And this whole sequence just blew my fucking mind as a kid. Like, superheroes are known for being up, you know, they, they don't bleed. We see Spider-Man get the shit kicked out of him by Green Goblin. He is beating the shit out of him. He's doing everything he can, and he is just being demolished. I'd never seen that in a movie before, where the superhero is flawed. He's he is strong, but he is not too strong to be able to beat the villain at this moment. And the fact that it comes to a point where he is just getting demolished by the Green Goblin, it gets to a point where he is at the end and he holds him and he can't even do anything. Like he tries webbing, none of that fucking works. And it gets to a point where Goblin has him and he goes, well, I'm, I don't want to go the whole thing, but basically like I, you could have gotten the easy way out. I could have just killed MJ like quick and painless, but you've pissed me off. So I'm going to kill her nice and slowly. And that just like in, ignites the fire in Peter at the point Green Goblin for some reason has a trident with him. I don't care. It's fucking great. And tries to stab him and says, MJ and I, we're going to have a hell of a time. It's awesome. And at this point, Sp Peter finally gets back and is able to knock Green Goblin down and collapse a fucking wall onto him and has this whole moment where he just beats him up and finally takes back. And then the goal in his last resort, it's like, no, 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 it's me. It's me. It's Norman. And he shows him and it's like, please help me. Thank you. The goblin tried to do it. I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't try to kill MJ. And he's like, please take my hand. And as he's doing this whole monologue, like I've seen, I've seen you as a son, like, you know, you're like a father. I'm a father to you. Please be a son to me now. And he has this whole thing. He sets up the glider to, to attack him. And basically this whole film is about the relation. Part of it is the relationship between uncle Ben and Peter. And he finally like sees him as his father and says, I have a father and his name was Ben Parker. And you have one of the most iconic shots in comic book history of the glider impaling goblin recreated on film. You have the moment where Peter has his spider sense and it happens and he flips the goblin is, is killed by his glider and you have that small little moment where he goes oh which is like such a Sam Raimi thing to add and I absolutely love that moment but it's just like one of those scenes where like it's I've always been like emotionally like connected and re resonates with the movie something fuzzy yeah that was a, that was a great line thank you okay um but uh just this whole scene this is just, I've never I, as a kid I'd never seen a scene like it seeing the superhero get like beaten the shit out like it's just one of those things I'd I'd never like like fathomed and the fact that we see it on film the way it plays out and the fact that he's able to come back and then over overtake the green goblin and have it that last moment with the with the glider and the fact that he misses it I think it's just so well done. And the fact that it stretches out like three seconds to 10 seconds, only something Remy could have done by like playing with the spatial geography of the scene. Um, and you have that moment where Norman just in his like last final moment goes, Peter, don't tell Harry, and then dies, which is a recurring line from early in the movie when MJ tells Peter, like, don't tell Harry that I'm working at the Moondance Diner because, you know, why would working at the Moondance Diner is like such a terrible job. The whole idea that it connects with other scenes in the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, also Mike makes a good point. We just didn't say Godspeed Spider-Man. He would have won. But he's an idiot. 
Um, but this whole scene is just so great. And it's also just why I love the Green Goblin as a villain. So he's so effective as a villain. He's so like evil. And I'm just like, as a kid, scared of like what he can do. And the fact that he knows Peter Parker Spider-Man, I think just the scene is so indicative of that idea. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, I watch the scene like all the time, like as much as I anyone should, I guess. But just the fact that it is like everything of why I love Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And in the scene, it's not Spider-Man that's fighting Green Goblin, it's Peter Parker. And that relationship with Green Goblin, I think, is so effective. Um, it's the best scene in any Spider-Man movie, and I will argue against it. Uh, you had this, Jack? No, no he didn't have it. Okay. Um, yeah, because the hero almost loses in the last minute fighting some new power inspiration to defeat the villain. That never happens to comic book movies. Okay, listen. If you're if you're four years old and you're watching this movie for the first time, that completely like go back and listen to my Ratatouille rant. your perspective on film. Um, no, okay, Jake, this is your last Spider-Man movie? Yes. Same. Or seen it, yeah. I am so furious with you. Okay, first first of all, copy and paste everything I said about your 87 other Spider-Man scenes. But you picked every, like, throwaway, forgettable, just not even necessary to be talked about moment in these dumb movies. And you miss the one scene that actually belongs on this list. The one scene that deserves to be talked about. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Mm. Did not make your list. It's tough. There were many scenes. I I had like 15 scenes. Exactly. You didn't have the one that you should have. But all the scenes that I had were fucking great. Rosemary Harris is the best thing about these movies. This is the best. That's the best moment it's in any of these best. movies. It is the only the when I when I when I when I knew when I saw your list, I'm like okay, I'm gonna get a ton of Spider Man. I just assumed that was gonna be like one of your top ones. You don't even mention it. You have the uh, eight arm sounds hot lady, and you know Jim Norton talking about Spider Man. Uh, what other nonsense? You have all this crap, but you skip that. The best scene the in these dance movies. in Spider Man three. Uh, yeah, the dance was something. That's yeah. amazing. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. You had every you had all this like I'm more angry about that than I am with all my the time my time you wasted talking about those other scenes. The, if you would have had that one, it almost would have made up for it. But that's just ridiculous. Uh, everybody else on this scene, and you could also talk about the missing that scene if you want. Yeah, I mean. I've said it before. It's a top 100 movie for me, so I love it. I love the scene, and yeah, oh, is amazing. Like, <laughs> there's just no, there's honestly, there's no reason to put that in there, but it's hilarious. It's great. It's great. So, I, uh, I do really like this scene. Not my favorite scene from the first Spider-Man movie, but good for you. Uh, I almost messaged you earlier after you had the train scene from Spider-Man 2 because I thought that was your favorite Spider-Man scene. And I was about to message you, Did you do you not have Aunt May's speech from Spider-Man 2 on your list? <laughs> but I didn't. So, but no, Can I just say, in hindsight, I probably should have had that. But when I submitted my list, I was very happy with it. And then as the days have, and weeks have gone by, I mean, like, 
there are many scenes I wish I had on my top. Don't backpedal now, bitch. I'm not backpedaling. I'm saying there are many scenes that I would have liked. There's a lot that I wanted to talk about, and it's just one of the things where I I ran out of time. If you think we're all sitting here and believe the bullshit that you're spewing right now, that you can tell this movie backwards and forwards, ups and downs, on reverse, and you're telling me, oh, just happened to slip my mind that Aunt May is, like, the best scene. That's wild. Plus, you have, like, Hulk scenes that you could have cut. 17 Donnie Darko scenes you could have cut. No, no. Overall, yes, yes. Um, great scene. I love this scene. Three crazy, especially with, with that one not being there. But this is this is cinema. This scene right here is cinema. I love it. I mean, nothing... As a child reading comics, and to see the glider impale goblin on screen and a pumpkin bomb to the face, you had me at, you had me at, oh. Uh, so, done deal. Great. Okay. Uh, number three for Scott, please. All right. This was a previous yikes. It is the tiny dancer scene from Almost Famous. You mean the Tony Danza scene? Sure. Tony Danza. <laughs> we're talking about a lot of sing-alongs tonight. I guess we're just big, Hell like, yeah. karaoke. I had this at some point. But, uh, yeah, you, you did. It was on your list, Cody. Um, yeah, I mean, this scene <laughs> this scene is so important to me. I uh, When I was in high school, I did my, like, senior talk we you could do a talk if you were a senior like in front of the whole school and i mentioned this it, it was a lot about like why i loved movies was like kind of the, one of the themes of my speech and i mentioned this scene so that could that'll tell you how you know important this is a scene uh, to me and it has been for a long time but yeah i mean it, it's it's at a perfect time in the movie right when like you know russell has and uh and william have snuck out to like the party and the band is kind of, it seems like, at a little bit of a crossroads and nobody's really happy with each other. And All of a sudden, they just get on the bus and they're just driving away sullenly and then the song starts and then one person sings and then Russell joins in and then, um, you know, the movie is is about a lot of things, but the, the power of music is definitely um, one of the ideas at play and it just shows how seductive it can be right to just join in with everyone and sing along and and then again you know the great moment of of william and penny and he says you know i have to go home and she says you are home um but also the movie is trying to show you both sides of it right and this is obviously the most again sort of seductive moment where you're like wow this is amazing i don't want i would you know i wouldn't want to be anywhere else than where they are right then but you know, the movie is also about showing you sort of the dark side of that and don't be friends with the rock stars. And, you know, it, it looks like they're, he's Russell and, the, and Stillwater are going to screw him over in the end. You know, it doesn't totally end up that way. But um, so it's it's great for what the movie is trying to do as well from a storytelling perspective to have the scene in there. It's not just like a fun sing along to Tiny Dancer. Um, and you have this one great line of, you know, you are home, but it is also that in addition to being uh, important to, to what the movie is trying to do. So um, it gives me the feels every time. It's perfect. 
Yeah, it comes at a perfect time. This is like 61. It comes at a perfect time of the film where, like, yeah, he's out to drinking. It's past the I'm the gold, I'm the gold, I'm the golden god. And they're all sitting on the bench. Basically, like, where do we go from here? And it's like, tensions are still, like, high between everybody. Like, they don't know, like, where they're all sitting. And then, like, you just, them all breaking out and singing together. It's just like, it's it automatically, like, this scene can put a smile on my face, like, out of nowhere. Like, I love this scene. Like, it's it's iconic, and it gets that rap for, like, oh, yeah, of course, the scene. But, like, it pays off, like, perfectly. So, yeah. No, this is a good scene. And, I mean, you know, I criticize your number five because of how it kind of wedged in. Um, but this is a very uh, organic scene. Like, you buy this. Um, and that's what I, that's what I like about it is that like, it, it makes sense that they would do this. You believe they would do it. And, um, like, and I agree with you, Scott, like, it's like, well, this is like, it's, it's like, you're watching like, oh, that'd be so much fun to be there with them. And you could totally figure out why, uh, uh, what's his name is like, so getting sucked into this mm-hmm. world with just like a simple thing, just, just a song, but like, it's just such like a nice, peaceful moment, um, for them after everything they've been through. Um, so I think three's high. Where'd you have it at Cody? 61 that's 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 a little more realistic um but it's still it's 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 it's, it's solid. uh I feel like there's no realism in a personal top 100 favorites realistic is to where it should be uh, well, we've already had your top two scenes so i'm guessing you're gonna say pretty much anything <laughs> is too high to be three at this point um we'll see uh yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, you haven't seen it wow okay um, I have seen it. Um, they don't go to Mordor in this. He doesn't know. <laughs> um, as someone who used to be part of a, a team with uh, Michael Campbell, I obviously had to have seen this movie. Um, it's fantastic, and the scene is great. Um, yeah, the moment like when he goes, Patrick, Hugh, it's like I have to go home. You are home. It's fucking beautiful stuff. It's great. Also, I just love the song. I love Tiny Dancer. I'm a fan of Elton oh, yeah. John, um, and just that. The fact that that's the song that sort of connects the band back together is really great. This is what it's like. It's the magic of music, and I think that's what the scene is sort of indicative of is just how music can connect us together. All right, um, that takes us to Jack's number two. All right, Kirk, you're gonna have to remember, I had eight at least. Like about eight good picks there in a row. Now we get to, yeah, it's the portrait of a lady on fire scene. It's the final shot from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I also had it. Yeah, um, this scene is perfect. Uh, I genuinely almost put it as my number one when I submitted for this. Uh, there are days where it could be my favorite scene. It's just the perfect end to this film. Uh, this is my... The, everything that happens in this film... Uh, this, scene, this scene takes place after, like, years after everything has happened uh, in the film. Uh, Eloise has married. She has a child. Uh, Marianne has moved on with her life more or less and she's at this concert hall uh where uh across the balcony she sees eloise again and 
says uh, the narration over the scene says, uh, "I saw her one more time," uh, and then right before it cuts to Eloise again, it says she didn't see me, uh, and it cuts to Eloise. It's a shot from across the from about halfway across the balcony, and it slowly zooms in as uh, as the orchestra starts to play, uh, and you just see everything come to the forefront, uh, all of the emotion, uh, everything that uh, she experienced earlier in the film, uh, how she still cherish cherishes that time and uh, and how the, the music that they play, which they play earlier in the movie, uh, on, uh, uh, how that just brings it all out to the forefront. It's just a beautiful moment. It's one I think of often. I rewatch often. Uh, this film has, thank you, Cameron Holzman for uh, telling me to watch this film. Uh, Cause. I would not have expected Cameron Holzman to recommend this film. Uh, I had this as my 19, I think it was in my top 20. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, I think Jack mostly summed it up. Like the, what you are seeing in the scene is basically um, Adele Hanel's character, like re-experiencing their entire relationship, um, their entire, I mean, it wasn't even really a relationship, it was a fling um, over, you know, the course of this piece of music, which obviously, again, yeah, was significant um, early in the movie. I really love the piece of music too. It's Vivaldi. It's this really sort of, it's from the Four Seasons. It's this sort of very intense strings driven um, piece. So that really, you know, contributes, I think, to the atmosphere of the scene, but really just an amazing performance in the scene by Adele Hanel and seeing her just go through everything. And it's, of course, it's all in her face. There's no dialogue being spoken. Um, and Oh yeah, there's no dialogue in the whole film. It's not about anything. Um, but <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful scene, and it's one of those. I wish I could have seen it in theaters, um, because it, it's one of those where you can just like you can imagine a theater full of people, and like it cuts to black at the end, and everyone just kind of like sitting there in silence. Like we need to just like appreciate what we just saw for a second. Okay, bye. <laughs> If they cut, if, if they cut to the live audience, fucking people are passed the fuck out. There's no way they're awake. Scott, uh, you not really set that one up. Hey, Jake, I'll say I respect you. At least you take your medicine. You Thank you. Hey. Yeah, my medicine. Yeah, is Scott runs. Then live it at the moment. Not, not, not a coward like Scott is. Um, no, um, I'll say pros for this scene. <laughs> Something happening, you know. Oh, um, you know, somebody's doing something. Um, unlike the other ninety-nine percent of the movie, um, so it's got that going for it. Um, I, I, I don't think I don't think it's worth the wait of you know two hours and ten minutes or however long of just you know staring at each other. And I, I like how Scott said she's reliving her uh, their whole relationship. It's like, yeah, because she stared at her. That's all they did. Um, so it is an accurate, you know, recreation of their uh, uh, accurate creation of their entire relationship. Um, I told Jake uh, Scott at least at least he takes his medicine. He's he's got the guts to take his medicine. He has a bell when he knows it's coming. Um, I've, so. I've I've sat here and listened to it for ninety eight spots on this list. Okay, <laughs> I think you can forgive me this one. 
Um, but yeah, uh, I guess by default, it's the best scene in the movie. Um, but number two, yeah, that's Jack. <laughs> you, you were doing so well up until this point, man. Um, I, I don't At know. least I didn't have two scenes Was from he? Magnolia. Um, okay, okay, what is worse? Two scenes from Magnolia or one scene from Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Oh, Portrait of a Lady. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Portrait of a Lady, definitely. Um, awesome. Good, everybody I think it's a bold strategy to put the credits as the, the last scene of the film, but I respect it. Because that is should be too. Because I was waiting for that moment to come up in this film for the longest time. Um, some people tell me movies and they're like, hey, go check it out. I'm like, I'm on the fence, I don't know. This one, garbage. I love the expense says, listen to sight and sound. Kiss my ass. They have the Godfather at 12. I'd rather not listen to sight and sound. They had Vertigo at 1, automatically. Um, you just... Jack, half the people in the... Half the artsy-fartsy fuckfaces in our community hasn't seen. They've seen 31% of it. So clearly no one's on the same level of sight and sound. He's brilliant to film that found it in the trash can at the local library. Listen, all I'm saying is Jack makes no sense. He'll have next to the drop of the ring in Mordor next to Portrait of a Lady on Fire and says, my film case is unique and complex. Kiss my ass. Ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so dumb. Uh, bored as shit. You can't have Frodo Baggins sitting there. Frodo Baggins sitting there and then be like, oh, you know what? I love the eyebrow raises. Oh. <laughs> um, so I have two opinions. My first, jokingly, opinion is I love her reaction. Uh, the Jason, I'll answer your questions. <laughs> um, it's great. I love it. Um, I wish I loved the movie. It's one of those. Li- I should make a list of like movies I wish I loved. I wish I loved Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I just don't <coughs> see what everyone else sees in the movie. Like it's you one of those where I saw it in the cinema. I, to be fair, was kind of tired and was falling asleep. But I did try to connect with the movie and try and get what the movie was about. I just—it's the same thing with Spider Verse or The Dark Knight. You know, it's just like I just wish I loved the movie. Jake, Jake's, Jake's turning it around. Jake, Jason, why would you ask that? You know, the he's around. Jake, has you, you seen it? You, what? Talking to Jason. You she wish you, you 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 wish you loved Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I wish I loved American Beauty. Some movies we can love and others just don't. It's funny you mentioned that. Oh boy. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what a nonsense take that is. Um, okay, enough of that nonsense. Uh, on to Cody for your number two. And by the way, Payson, if you're going to like put the movie, put the full fucking title, and put two hours and two minutes on the law, I bet that movie's just a triple knee slapper. Um, so mine is, uh, but it's number one. Uh, uh, my number one, number two is uh, uh, Funny How, Goodfellas. This is a scene that wouldn't have been this high a year ago. 
it's a scene that's aside because the more I dive into Goodfellas, the more I get out of it. Um, and this is a scene that I can't really take from, I can't really talk to a guy from, um, you know, Grand Forks because he's an idiot. But when he talks about this scene and he talks about Ray Liotta's overacting, um, Ray Liotta's overacting is because he has to. He doesn't fit in this world. This is not a world for him. This is a per- this is a perfect example. You want a Henry Hill of the film community? It's Jack Pinchuk, right? Jack Pinchuk wants to be the sight and sound person and wants to say, I love these films. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he's wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt and he's wearing the, the ring of the, the, the one ring and he's got a lightsaber in his back pocket. He can't fit into it because he doesn't. There's still something. He's, he's trying to be something he's not. And he won't accept it. That's all right. But listen, this scene I love because Henry Hill's sitting there. And this ties into more. The more, the most confident and the most intimidating Henry Hill is in the entire movie is one scene. And it's when he beats the shit out of the guy across the yard because he says something to his wife. That's the strongest he's ever presented in this movie. Every time he's around actual gangsters, he's the weakest one in the room. And this scene, funny how, is more, it gets more of a line of a comedic delivery than how actually great Joe Pesci's delivery of the funny how is. When he does the funny how the first time, it's not Henry Hill's reaction. It's everybody around the table's reaction to him. He says, what do you mean by that funny? And everybody on the table shuts up. They're not along with the gag of him because they know how loose cannon he is. And and it's Martin Scorsese and it's everything because as the scene develops, you can see the sweat like more and more clear on his face. Like that he's nervous. He calls him out on to like clear the air, but he's like, no, but he's like, you said it. And a guy speaks up for him behind it. He goes, he's a big boy. He knows what he said. He can answer it. What am I? Funny how? Am I a clown? Am I here to amuse you? And like when he says that in Henry Hill, like he, he gets farther and farther back in the chair. And then he calls him out and it's the whole funny line. But the scene continues because it shows how much of a loose cannon he actually is. Because the bar owner comes up to him and goes, Hey, he's like, Oh, you're good. Just put it on my tab. You're fine. He's like, Yeah, but you stole me seven thousand. No, I don't mean any disrespect. No disrespect. And he smashes a bottle on his head. And Henry Hill's sitting there like, what life did I just get into? Like, I wanted to be a gangster, but I'm not fit to be a gangster. And the one line in the scene is, he goes, I don't know, Henry. I don't think you'd handle questions. I think you'd crack under questioning. And it's such a call to the end of the movie when he does testify against them. It's just a brilliant fortune set up by Scorsese in this movie. It wouldn't have been this high, but after watching it again, it's the clear number two for me. Because the number one can't be topped for me. Did you have any other Godfather or um, Goodfellas scenes on your list? No, this is it. Okay, um, interesting pick. Um, not what I would have went with. Uh, I think it's, it's a great scene. I mean, it's, it's I like. I mean, the way you describe it, like it's a really good setup of Leo's character. And I don't like. I don't understand like the overacting. Like, I mean, he's doing that like loud, boisterous laugh, but that's just the character. And that's just like the whole thing, like him holding the finger up to his eye and everything. That's just the character. Like, I have no problem with that. 
Um, and yeah, I just, I love the fact that uh, Tommy's like self-aware enough that he knows he can mess with people like this. Like he's not so like, he's a sociopath and he's insane, but like, he still like has a sense of humor about it. Like he's like, yeah, he's bulletproof, he, yeah. and he knows he can push his buttons. Um, and, uh, you know, it's you know, he, you know, and I love you know at the end he's like he's like you know they they you know they they, they settle down for that and everything and he's like I, he's like he's like oh you're a funny guy and he like pulls his gun out like acts like he's gonna shoot him like it just it just shows you how like this crazy like that's the whole movie does so it just shows you how like insane this lifestyle is um, but I think it's what too like they're just like sit there like you know casually talking to the psychopath so again like I said I think it's high for this scene um, not my go- good fellas I think there's a couple that are just a little better. Um, but it's a great character moment and really good scene. Uh, everybody else on Funny How. Scene's Come great. Uh, scene's great. Cody kind of shot me in the head there while talking about it, but scene's great. So good, good pick. I stand by it. Cody, am I a clown? Do I amuse you? I get to make you laugh. More than more than you know. More than you know. <laughs> I mean, this is a great scene. I, I was weirdly enough talking about this with a friend last night when we went to go see Avatar The Way of Water, and then we didn't finish the movie because the screen went black. I see the connections. Sorry, I see the connections. Um, <laughs> we were talking about Christmas movies and Home Alone got brought up, but um, yeah, like, this is hard. a great scene. The whole improvised aspect of Joe Pesci in this scene. Like, this is where he wins his Oscar. It's incredible. It's a great scene. I love it. That's all I have to say. Yeah, definitely feel like he has the energy that Cody aspires to, perhaps in this scene. So I don't, I see why Cody has it this high on his list. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously an iconic. Wish I could scene. pull I that gun out. I had a different scene from uh, from Goodfellas already on my list, but um, you know, I don't disagree that in terms of character introduction, in a way, um, it it doesn't get a whole lot better than this and you know it's in the wireless intro or whatever so significant all right um that's everybody everybody talk about this Mm -hmm. okay so jake number three or number two number two uh it's an ending to one of my favorite movies ever that is the ending to the aforementioned american beauty um at the scene okay spoiler alert if you do not want to be spoiled i'm about to spoil the ending i need to in order to articulate why i love the scene and love the ending uh at this point lester has rejected angela and sees a portrait of him and his family his wife carolyn and his daughter jane in a happier moment when they were younger and in this moment he realizes that this is beauty this is beauty in life and you see in the cam- in the uh, frame a gun point out at his back and kills him, shoots him, <clears throat> bang, dead. His daughter Jane and the neighbor Ricky sees his dead body, and Ricky sees it as a, as a term of beauty. As as I talked about last week, how he sees beauty in anything, in most aspects of life, he sees it in his death and how there's a a brief smile on his face throughout the scene. We have Lester's monologue, his narration come back, and he talks about how you know how people say that your entire life flashes before your eyes. It's only partially true because it's not a second. It stretches on like an ocean of time. And he goes through his life how 
he was in, you know, uh, Scouts, how he saw his cousin's brand new Firebird, how he saw, how he was with his grandmother and how her skin felt like paper. He just goes through these, like, his entire life and the beauty that was there and how he experienced it and how he was, didn't really think about it at the time, but in death, he views it as the beauty. And sometimes there's so much of it that we just can't even understand and can't even take it. Um, and as this narration and, you know, montage is playing out, we're seeing the perspectives of each of the characters. Car Carolyn coming home, hearing the gunshot. Ricky and Jane hearing the gunshot. Angela hearing the gunshot. And then we're seeing the after effects of how Carolyn is all distraught over his death, how Jane and uh, Ricky leave, and how Carolyn is more confused about what's just happened. But the whole sequence is just basically him realizing that there is so much beauty that we can't even fathom, how we can't even understand how, and I'm just quoting what happens, what he says, but it flows through him like rain. And I, he can't even feel anything but gratitude for every single moment of his stupid little life. And that's just like one of these things I just really absolutely gravitate towards where it's just like, there are things that we don't even understand and don't even like believe can be real, but we don't even know fully like how it happens and we won't even understand it, but someday we will. And just the fact that it ends the same way the movie opens with like the pan, like the airplane, the helicopter shot of the suburban life that Rick, that Lester has lived. And as it pans out, he just says, you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm sure, but you will someday. And I just think that the whole movie is about sort of like the beauty and life and how we don't even sometimes understand it, but someday we will. And sometimes it will be in death. And I just think that's absolutely beautiful. And the execution of it is just like fantastic. And it's, as, a, as a, someone who started as a young kid, or well, I'm gonna say young kid, but as a teenager, it really like formed the connection with me as far as like what films can 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 express and the ideas that it can really showcase. And I absolutely have always connected with it. Um, I think it's a fantastic scene, uh, the way it's executed, what it's about, and just sort of the the ideas behind the human condition. I just think uh, really connect with me. Um, I absolutely love the ending. You just can't get away from that plastic bag, can you, Jake? It's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's a good uh, like ending to the movie. Um, I think it wraps it off well. Like you said, this is everything that this movie is about is summed up in this scene. Um, and I like how the fact that like it's kind of a misdirect. Like you don't know like you how you, you, you shoots him. Like mm -hmm. you see that gun and you think you assume it's going to be his wife, and then because um, that they've kind of set that up, and then there's a you know the little twist, uh, big twist I guess, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, two super high, um, but I know how much you love this movie. But it, it's, it's it's a really solid ending. It's a great way to end the movie. Uh, everybody else saw the ending of American Beauty. Good ending movie. I, I don't love the movie, but, you know, it's a good ending. I'll my rewatch list. I need to check it out. I'll rewatch it eventually. All right. Uh, Scott, number two. All right. Number two. The... Odessa Steps train station oh. sequence from The Untouchables. It just goes so hard. Um, we've talked about a few Brian De Palma 
set pieces. Um, we talked about, I had the carry prom scene, Jake had the blowout. Ending. I, I don't really think anyone does it better than him when it comes to like staging these sorts of things. I'm um, here. Of course he's bad. He's barring from battleship Potemkin, um, the very old black and white film. Um, but this is when uh, the, uh, Malone, Sean Connery's character, just died. and But his last act is to point out that, oh, the Capone's bookkeeper is going to be getting on this train, so you got to, like, try to stop him. Um, and so Elliot Ness, Costner, goes to the, the train station. And he's just waiting for, the like, the first five minutes of the scene. He is just waiting. Like, there's, like, nothing happening, so to speak. Um, but he's checking this big clock, which is just a really cool image. He's looking back and forth. He's just kind of like watching the, you know, goings on within this train station, the people just milling about. And of course this woman comes in with a baby carriage and she's trying to pull it up the stairs, but she needs help. And Costner, you can see he's having like the internal conflict of like, oh, do I go help her uh, and give up my post here, you know, in case they walk in, what do I do? Finally, he decides he's going to go help her. He, you know, is starting to get a little more nervous. He gets to the top of the stairs and then you see the one henchman of Capone's come in with like the tape on his nose. And then like he starts to reach for his gun and Costner just like a second quicker and like just pulls out a shotgun from his coat, blows the guy through the door. And uh, the woman, of course, with the baby carriage screams, drops the baby carriage and it starts, you know, rolling down the stairs you know, the bookkeeper and the, the other henchmen have come in at this point. He's like, what do I do? Do I stop the baby carriage with the baby in it, you know, to uh, before it gets to the, the bottom of the stairs and crashes? Or do I, you know, keep my eye on the task? It's like an amazingly suspenseful setup for a scene. Um, he's using the slow-mo really well, um, which, again, De Palma just knows how to, like, when to employ all these sort of status. Um, and of course, Andy Garcia's character comes in to save the day, like catching the um, the baby carriage with his foot. And then I just love like the Mexican standoff that happens where the guy is like, oh, I've got the bookkeeper and me and the bookkeeper are, get are getting on a train or whatever and, and leaving. And um, and, you know, Stone, uh, Andy Garcia's character just has like the gun pointed at his head. And finally, Costner just says take him and he just you know blows his brains up from the bottom of the the stairs and they're able to to secure the bookkeeper it's just electric to watch every single time it never disappoints me um it's thrilling it's suspenseful um it's everything you want in this sort of scene i mean it's one of it's one of my top five movies of all time and this scene is just like the centerpiece and pretty hard to ignore even if you don't love the movie as much as i do yeah, um, I like the movie. I don't love the movie. I think this scene's great. Um, I think, like, you know, it's been a while since I see it, but I don't remember, like, a ton of, like, trademark De Palma moments in this movie. Like, I feel like a lot of this movie could have been directed by, you know, not not in a bad way, but just it's, it's not it's, like... It's, it's definitely, like, his one for them. Like, yeah. it's not, you know, it's a studio. It's a big studio movie. Yeah, definitely. And, like, but, like, you, you this is the one scene where he really shows off and... Um, I love the set, like just how big everything is. Like yeah. you know, they enter the train station, there's like a long, long corridor, like kind of like otherworldly long. Um, going back, and it's obviously like, like a map painting. Yeah, yeah, it's like obviously a map painting, but it's like so like just. It, and then you go inside, everything just it just it's almost like a cathedral, it's so big. 
and just like the sound and the the the, 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 the footsteps and everything. And yeah, just that whole sequence with the with the the carriage and the just gun is just so perfectly paced. And like I said, you, you wait forever for it to happen. And it just um, you know, him with the baby carriage, just such wow. a great shot. Um, no, it's a really good scene. Um, I, I you know I, I don't know if I'd put it on a top one hundred myself, but I it's it's definitely you know, worthy of being in the top ten, top fifteen, twenty five, something like that. Um, everybody else on the uh, Untouchables train station scene. I haven't seen the movie. Um, that, I haven't seen the movie. That so. baby Carol? You haven't seen the sound? I have seen Battleship Potemkin, right? <laughs> the, the hearing that sound on the stairs well, is like one of the like ingrained in my brain. Like the thought behind a baby carriage falling downstairs while a gunfight breaks out. Fucking bonkers. Love the scene. Actually, should have thought about it, to be honest with you. But I watched it after we already started the top 100 again. And- it would have made my list. Great scene. All right. Uh, it all comes down to this. Number one. Been here for like seven or eight months we've been doing this now. And we finally reached number one. Jack, what is your number one movie scene of all time? We already know. Look, it's not the scene. It's not the scene you're thinking. Uh, when I think of the first, the first thing I knew when I made this list was this is my number one movie I've seen of all time. Uh, it was almost overtaken by Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but it's number one and probably will be for quite a while still. Fight and Sound couldn't take over. That's right. The right, it, it is the ride of the Rohirrim, Theoden's speech in the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. There's I, a Jack we know and love. Yeah. Look. There he is. He's been hiding years. Look, this these are the movies that I watched when I was uh, younger that made me fall in love with film. Uh, the world uh, that can be create uh, the worlds you can find in movies are beautiful and Middle Earth. It, 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 I escape in these movies, and this scene is just beautiful uh if you're watching uh if you're watching the extended edition it's uh after gandalf is defeated by the witch king and he's about to die and then the horn of rohan sounds in the background uh and uh the witch king flies off to to see what's going on and you just see this horde of uh of men on horses uh come over the top of the hill you've got Howard Shore's perfect score in the background. The Battle of Pelennor Fields is my favorite piece of music in any film. Uh, I get chills just listening to it. It's perfect. Theoden's speech is perfect uh, as as they chant death before uh, before riding into the uh, tens of thousands of orcs, and it's just. It's a movie that it, it's a moment in this movie that uh, may not be everyone's favorite moment of the movie. There are many, many great moments uh, in this movie, and you're kind of spoiled for choice here. But this is the scene that I think of when I think of the Lord of the Rings movies. This is the scene I return to again and again, and just reminds me why I love movies in the first place. I, it's perfect. 
Jack, I'm not going to fault you for loving Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm not going to fault you for having uh, high, you know, the, the scenes rated high, even at your number one. But this isn't the best scene of the trilogy. This isn't even the best scene of this movie. I had to go back and look up exactly, you know, what this was. Like, this is, and I mean, I know these movies. I'm not an expert. I'm not Tim McCullough, but I know them, you know, if you if you tell me like a scene that belongs on top 100 list, I'm probably gonna know what you're talking about. This one I had no idea what it was. Um, I think honestly, be personally, like the the Rohim or whatever they're called are kind of like the most boring part of these movies. Like those like anytime those characters are on, I'm kind of checked out. Like I just they don't interest me. Uh, that might be why. I don't know. You guys can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but I mean, number one for the, I mean, I think your other your other picks for the Lord of the Rings movies. It said Sam's speech is better than this. I didn't say the Vormir scene's better than this, at least more memorable. Um, so I'm kind of surprised this is your number one. Uh, everybody else on this, am I crazy? I don't even remember the scene. I mean, you know I have nothing to say. <laughs> We're such an anticlimactic number one. <laughs> I'm you sorry, put, Jack. <laughs> you, put shit in, you put all the stuff in 99, you build up this case, you say... Look at me. I have assembled a list. I've only picked one from every movie. I've done my due diligence. I'm better than what I was in my last top 100. And at the end of the day, Jack's going to jack. That's just at the end of the day, you're just going to be yourself and pick a fucking shit scene to represent Return of the King. You didn't think Samwise's marriage. That's what you should have put. If you're going to pick this lackluster scene, you should have picked them getting married or the 45 endings. You know? You know, at the end of the day, you expected to be, you know, Kirk look at you and be like, you bow to no one. Instead, <laughs> you're the ring that gets dropped in the fire and you fucking lose. Sucks to suck. You know the scene in Shark Tale where there's the seahorse racing? Oh, no. And no. the one's racing and then it like tumbles and then loses? That's what's <laughs> happening right now. Sally, that I was never winning. <laughs> You lost me at you know the scene in Shark Tale. <laughs> I know that scene very well. Unfortunately. Uh, all right, Cody, what is your number two? I'll just play this to get out of the way. I'm just going to play this to get out of the way. That's textbook um, I'm going to lead into this. I am still chasing a scene like this. I hope one day that I find a scene that is equal to this scene. This scene is the greatest scene, not only favorite, but greatest scene in movie history for me. And that is the baptism scene from The Godfather. I put this as number one when I started and it never even came close to getting overtaken. I hope the next movie I watch has a scene close to the baptism scene from The Godfather. I really do. I I love this movie. I love the two movies so much, but this scene, the way that it's shot, um, acted... Uh, the organs playing, the stuff being set up behind it. Michael's looking at the priest's eyes and says, do you believe in Jesus? I do. 
do you renounce the die? I do all these things. Why he is literally taking everyone out outside this church and outside in the city. It is, it, there is no scene that has ever, like, when I first saw it, blew my mind. Like, still to this day, it is like, this movie gets a lot of praise and a lot of credit. I understand that it's not for everybody. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But as somebody that holds like movies with like organized crime and that mob that is this is my movie, one of my movies, and for it to literally just be so so shot that it seems like real and technical and everything's down to the book. There's not one part of it I'm like, oh, that's a little stupid. No, from the cop shaking the getting the gun out of the bag and ready for him running up the stairs, how they're all in the right spot at the right time to take care of everybody and not let anybody shake. Again, I could gush about this scene for I've re I've watched it and rewound it and watched it again and did it again. I just think it's an absolute brilliant scene. And then, again, Coho could have hosted this, Bowman could have hosted this, Scott could have hosted this, my number one would have been the baptism scene from the godfather and it's not even close how funny how if i actually had to rank this funny how is like 30 compared to how close that is to one like it's not it was never in question could have never flipped at any point my two through ten could have flipped but this couldn't have that's my thing um you're wrong cody <laughs> this, this movie is for everybody <laughs> okay, yeah. it's not for you you're just wrong um no, I don't yeah, disagree with you. This, this scene is, yeah, the way this builds, like they they show him going to the church, um, and then they show each of the assassins getting ready, and like they take they they take their time with it. You know, it's like they show uh, they show Clemenza struggling up the steps, and you know they show Willie Chichi getting a shave and everything, and um, just I love um, that. I, I love the hard cuts. You know, it's like. Do you really renounce Satan's all his works? I do renounce them. Da na na na, and they cut to somebody getting you know their, their you know, the score kicks in. Somebody's getting shot. Um, it's so good. Um, it's yeah. It's everything's about it. It's just perfect. It's a perfect way to end the movie. Just you know, and like it, the whole thing was slowly being set up in that like the last half of the movie. Once once Vito got sick and you know they made all their plans and he called the meeting like this is what everything, you know, when he's sitting there making peace with the, you know, the five families, it's all leading to this, you know, this is all part of the plan. And, um, it just, uh, again, it, it's a very different way. It kind of reminds, reminds me of Shawshank, just where it's like that cathartic ending where it's like, okay, here's all the payoffs, you know, all these people have been, you know, beating this family down, trying to screw them over and they finally all get their comeuppance. Um, but yeah, it's, and, but at the same time, it's just like Michael just completely dehumanizing you know, just him just completely like giving himself over where he came from at the beginning to now is just that cold hearted bastard that you get in Godfather Part Two. Um, but yeah, um, I personally, you know, I may have switched your one and your eight, um, but that, yeah. um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an eight spot difference, but um, no, this definitely is a, is a solid number one. Uh, everybody else on the uh, Godfather Baptism. Great movie. Wasn't my scene from the movie, but I'm very excited to rewatch it. You only watched it. Um, 
an, an amazing montage, the intellectual montage, as is uh, as is stated um, for the scene. It's great. I love it. I just don't consider it a favorite. Sue me, Kirk. Sue me. I will. Well, we're about to find out what your favorite is. Um, Cody, I just have to say, and I think this is an objectively, you know, great pick for number one. I don't fault you for the pick at all or criticize you at all for it. I do think it's funny that you have fostered Jack this whole time. The basic, uh, you know, IMDb scenes or whatever. And then this turned out to be your number one, which is probably like what is number one on all of these lists that you would look up. So... I mean, you know, just an observation. It's it's, it's not. It's not. I, I looked up and it's very similar to Jack's, but no, Baptist is not there. Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> all right, uh, that takes us over to Jake. Jake, what's your number one scene of all time? Number one. For the record, unless Scott does have a scene from the movie, it is hilarious how no one has a scene from Rocky at all because that's the thumbnail of like the whole series on youtube <laughs> i just find that absolutely funny that that's what is sort of i think funny. that i think that's why you picked it to be honest with you oh okay i mean yeah, fair, you just but, spoiled like, my number one but okay <laughs> sorry when i thought i will say it was very hard to come up with a number one like when i thought about it what really is like my favorite scene ever i found it hard it was difficult i guess when it really came down to it, it has to be from my favorite movie ever, Donnie Darko. But, like, what scene do I pick? There are so many great scenes from the movie. I've already talked about a lot of them. You already picked seven of them. So what's eight? And when I really thought about it, it's honestly the ending. It's the ending to Donnie Darko, a.k.a. the Mad World sequence. The whole scene is just, like, phenomenal. At the point where I'm just like, I don't know what really to say, except it's excellent. Donnie, at this point, has depending on your interpretation of the movie, has traveled back in time and is back in his bed on the 2nd of October. And the spoiler alert, spoiler, if you have not seen Donnie Darko, please go watch the movie. Spoiler, three, two, one. The uh, jet engine crashes in his bed and kills him after he avoided it at the beginning of the movie. And with this whole sequence where characters from the movie wake up and they sort of have like a deja vu moment where they go, wait, did what just happened happen? Did everything that we saw in the movie experience like actually happen in real life? Was it just another alternate reality? What is going on? We have characters just wake up and sort of have this sort of cathartic moment, whether it's Dr. Lillian Thurman, Donnie's psychiatrist, or Dr. Monotov, uh, Donnie's science teacher, or it's Beth, you know, it's Kitty Farmer, the uh, the gym teacher, or it's Jim Cunningham, the motivational speaker. They all have sort of an emotional moment throughout the the song Mad World being played throughout the film, uh, throughout the scene. And they all have this moment of just like, what happened? Did I just have like a dream that felt real? And as the scene goes on, we just see more and more characters and then we get to Frank who, you know, who was the bunny rabbit man and realize that, wait a minute, do I get shot in the eye? And this whole powerful moment of like deja vu that all these characters experience. And then we cut to the morning where Donnie has been killed and his whole family's just outside the house and they just pan through each of them and their sort of reactions. And of course, they're all like emotional and they're all sad and they're all experiencing sorrow, but 
Donnie's mom, Rose, is sort of having this sort of like moment where she just realizes that like acceptance of like her son's death and just sort of like, I feel like I, I knew what was going on. I know what had happened. And we see Gretchen riding on her bike coming through and just asking like, hey, what happened? And Gretchen is Donnie's girlfriend throughout the entire movie doesn't know what happened and this is asking the neighbor kid like oh yeah my neighbor got killed he got killed by a, a jet engine and then he just goes there do you know him and he goes and she goes no like but there's a sort of like moment between Gretchen and Rose where they sort of like wave it wave at each other like I've seen you somewhere like I know you but I don't know where and they sort of have this moment between each other where they're sort of connected but they don't exactly know how they sort of were connected and this whole moment of like Gretchen doesn't know who Donnie was, but we, of course, watching the movie have seen the experience of the relationship between Donnie and Gretchen. And as the movie, as the scene plays out, they just have this like moment where they just wave at each other and then bang, cut to black End credits directed, written and directed by Richard Kelly. And that's when I just go, holy shit, like what an experience. Like when I think of, you know, Bon Joon-ho going, to me, this is cinema or, you know, the movie I think of the scene and just like the emotions that I get from it and how it just really resonates with me and connects with me and just like, this is what I want film to achieve. This is connection that you just would not get from anything else. And I absolutely find it beautiful and profounding and beautiful and just lovely. Um, it's my favorite scene ever. It's incredible. I think we got to the bottom of something here at the end of the list. Um, I have a problem with the fact you pick the movie before you pick the scene. Um, and I think that might be the fatal flaw in your list altogether. Um, I mean, you tell me it's your favorite scene ever, but you had you, you went to the movie first. And then, okay, what's my favorite scene? But then that's your, I just don't understand that. And... I think it's, and it just may be a difference of how we look at it. But like for me, for a scene to be a great scene, I've seen Donnie Darko, um, and this I could I could use this description for a lot of your scenes. Like I said, I think we're we're, we're figuring some stuff out here. Um, I've seen Donnie Darko. I know the movie. Um, I don't know it well, but I went back and I watched the scene, and I got nothing from it. Um, you know, and I I think for a scene to be a great scene. Like, you know, we'll go back to, you know, The Untouchables with Scott. Like, I haven't seen that movie in, you know, 15 years probably. And I don't feel any great connection to that movie, but I watch that scene. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a great scene. Um, or even, like, you're seeing, like, that mommy scene. Like, I told you, like, no connection to the movie. There was something there. Um, but I think, like, this scene, like, there's nothing. Like, you may love the movie, but the scene itself just doesn't have the whatever it is that makes a scene great in and of itself. Um, but and I, I, like I said, I think that that's be, besides that you picked a bunch of crap like Jackass and Incredible Hulk. Um, I think the problem. That, that, was, I, I beat Hulk. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. You think that's better? Um, yes. No. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but honestly, I think like I said, like, like a, like a, like a, like a light bulb went off when you said that, like, I think that's the, the, the issue here. And I need the therapy pacing. It, it is therapy time because I need it. I've been doing top 100 with Jake for 10 weeks. Um, 
but yeah, I think that just kind of like it's it's it just seems like a weird way to come at it, like to to pick the movie before the scene. I didn't think of like, oh yeah, my num- my number one favorite scene has to be from Donnie Darko. It sort of kind of came together where I was like, wait a minute, I think my favorite scene is the ending to my favorite movie. Like it took me a time, it took me a month, a, a bunch of time to to kind of realize like, what do I really classify as my favorite scene ever? And I just honestly feel like it is. From my favorite movie and just the way that it sort of resolves and the ending of it but also i feel like scenes every scene is different when it comes to the context of the scene when it comes like when it where it is like can you watch it on its own or can you watch it with the entire movie and knowing what happens like it's just that's just the that's sort of the idea behind the scenes is that they're all different and they're unique yeah no everybody else on the dotty darko i still haven't seen it i could have watched it twice uh with the amount of time that we've been here but i haven't seen it I don't have the energy. <laughs> Scott. Um, yeah, this is definitely the most memorable scene from the movie for me. I remember when I watched it, and specifically that shot of Jenna Malone like looking across at his mom, I was like, this is this turned to like an emotionally moving moment that I really wasn't expecting it to turn to. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I end up liking the movie so much. So it's definitely one I want to revisit um especially hearing all of your uh your commentary about it here tonight and on other episodes jake um so i i don't fault you for the pick i mean it is your favorite movie and i think it is the best best scene so it makes sense all right scott you're gonna uh take us home here what is uh your number one scene of all time well, we've talked about a lot of scenes and spectacular action and set pieces and tension and music and all of this stuff. But the best scene in film history is just two dudes sitting in a diner having a cup of coffee, especially because those dudes are Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. It is the diner scene from Heat. Um. Yeah, I mean, just from a historical context perspective, this was like the first scene that they ever shared together. Um, And to think about all the hype that, you know, was riding on that scene, uh, and then to think about what Michael Mann actually did with the scene is, you know, he he climbed the beast and then some. Um, It's absolutely masterful. Um, the exchange of dialogue and the performances, because this is like something that could be like, you have to walk a very fine line with this because basically you're getting these two guys together to like explain their motivations, right? It can come off as like dull exposition or whatever, like a forced scene in the middle of the movie to try to move things along. But credit to Michael Mann for his writing credit to the, you know, actors for their performances you are just riveted watching this dialogue and it is so fun to watch, um, you know, their back and forth and, you know, basically getting their philosophies on, you know, the way that they do things and realizing that they are very similar to each other and that in a different life, you know, a different career pursuit, they could have been friends. And just like De Niro, Neil McCauley discussing like, how he doesn't know anything, how to do anything else but scores. And like, he understands like that it's, you know, he's, he's probably going to get caught someday or, um, you know, that he's living a dangerous life. And he now has this, you know, girlfriend, Amy Brenneman's character. Um, 
but he just he, his brain is wired only one way. And Pacino, uh, you know, is the exact same way. Vincent Hanna, we see him like torpedoing his marriage, and you know, he's had other marriages basically because all he knows how to do is work. And the scenes where he's, you know, at crime scenes and everything, he's just like in God mode. Um, and just watching there again, like I said, competing philosophies and the the whole exchange that's like, uh, you know, I don't know how to do anything different. Me either. I don't much want to. Me either. And then the moment that after that moment, they just like have this little smile at each other. Like it is just like if you could just frame that shot, like of them just like with that smile at each other. Um, it you know it's it's so perfect because it's like the damn like I actually respect you. Um, but then of course they have to bring the scene back to you know they have to bring things back to reality in the conclusion of the scene. Um, talking about you know if the heat's around the corner um you know what are you going to do and then also you know pacino it's like one of the greatest line readings ever when he's like you know if uh, if it's between me if it's between me and you and some you know poor widow poor uh ah, shit i can't even remember it's too late but <laughs> poor bastard who or poor widow who whatever who's you know you're going to kill um her husband basically and he goes brother you are going down like the way he delivers that line is like just you know inject that into my veins um it's so great and then you know de niro fires back, right back at him and he's like if i'm in the same situation you know i will not hesitate i will you know i will take you down um and so it's just a fantastically like written acted paced scene right at the center of this like crime epic that I think is what elevates heat to something beyond just like, you know, a heist movie, a gangster movie, a shootout movie. It is like a psychological battle between these two guys who actually, when it all comes down to it, are the same sort of type A driven, you know, putting their work before everything else type of people. And, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to have to do it because they can see themselves in each other, but, again, the job comes first. And at the end of the day, they're going to take each other down. We know that the movie's headed there and it does eventually head there. Um, it's so brilliant. And listen to the third rewatchables episode about this, where Michael Mann talked about how he fell into the scene, because it's fascinating to think, to hear about all the little details that he got, right. Good. Number three. Um, Michael Mann, how the camera gets closer to their faces as the scene is going on. And it's very, very minor and very, and yeah, you're going down, but the flip side of that coin, and I have to put you down. I will not hesitate when that line is uttered. I'm just like, it's, and it, 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 it does help. It does help because it is Pacino and De Niro sitting across the table from each other. The two, like, who's who of actors, of organized crime movies, of everything about them, just sitting across the table and having a discussion and showing exactly who they are. It's just, it was three. It could have been two for me. Uh, it's just an absolute brilliant scene. It is, it is two titans and with the greatest dialogue for both of them sitting there telling the story. And Scott did a perfect job explaining that, but it was just like, 
I live for that scene. I love that scene. It's just, I don't know. Jack, you didn't have this, did you? He didn't. Okay. He's writing to um, Mordor. Um, this, I went back and looked at this because I would like, I try to be, if you couldn't tell, like the higher you had your picks listed, the, the more critical eye I looked at them with. And so with this at number one, I went back and looked at it. I was asked like the hard question, like, do we only like this because, or do we most like this because of the gimmick, because it's the De Niro uh, Pacino pairing. And I went back, I'm like, no, this is, this is too good. Um, you know, even, I mean, obviously it's maybe two of the greatest American actors ever. So that helps. Um, but it's just, Scott did such a good job explaining it. And I love that so much when you have two guys who are on the opposite ends of what they're doing and they're, you know, facing against each other. But at the same time, they are, you know, two sides of the same coin. And that's, what's so great about the scene and kind of tragic is as they're sitting there, you know, discussing this, they're both slowly realize it's like, finally, somebody gets me, mm-hmm. you know, neither of them, neither of these guys have anybody in their life who understands the drive that they have and the, the, the dedication they have and no one else is willing to tolerate it. It's like, finally, somebody gets it. Unfortunately, it's in this situation, somebody who's my nemesis and I'll probably have to take them down. And even in that scene where it's like, I, you know, they tell each other, I'll take you down. Like, it's like, I think, you know, it's okay. That's, that is how it is. That's, that's part of it. And, you know, you see that in the end when they're, you know, when he, when he's holding his hand, like they know, like you see that connection between them. Um, and I, that's, that's like my favorite kind of character, some of my favorite kind of characters, some of my favorite kind of stories where you have people who are against each other, but who are also, you know, have that kind of connection, that kind of sameness. Um, Jack, Jake, you didn't have this. Talk to me about it. I, um, just, I still haven't seen the movie. Huh? Sorry. Uh, he's blasphemous. Uh, I have seen the movie. I think it's incredible. I love the scene between the two actors. It's everything you want for a movie, for a scene. Like, just the, the power that these two actors can hold. They, they hadn't been in a movie since... Uh, before this and this was the sort of like their first movie together and the fact they went godfather and part two and all that sort of stuff it's great stuff um i love the movie it's just yeah i think it's a great scene it's just not one that i consider like in my top 100 favorites um yeah i just i honestly my favorite michael man is collateral and i always just have a connection with that movie more but i do think he is fantastic film it's fantastic all right that's it that's our top 10 uh that's our top 100 we um, did it. Winners for this week only um, for the top 10. Um, first place is going to be Cody. Um, Cody just had some really strong choices. Even the ones I didn't love or thought were too maybe too high, still really strong. Um, Jack's second, it was close because the two of you both had uh, scenes that could have been, uh, you know, argument for best scenes of all time. But I mean, you're right, Jack. You're, you're so you agree with his number one. You're one and you're two. Saying. Shh. Your one and two sunk you. Um, so, but other than that, it was a really strong list. So, uh, but that's number, like he's one and two. Uh, number three is, uh, but then I have you're in Scott's list. Scott is uh, number three. Um, Scott had some uh, really strong picks on his list as well. Um, just didn't hit all the highs. I don't understand how I'm behind that one and two. Um, because right. you had uh, because his his. You have six. 
You have six and five. But it's six. It's not my one or two. I I don't believe I don't believe in I don't agree in the system either. But this is what he's saying. His high highs are lower than your. Whatever. And then you're the Roma scene too, Jake. You did not have any scenes that are I would consider top ten of all time. Um, <laughs> the I mean, Bobby scene is your okay. Opinion, man. The Birdman scene. You're is too. Okay. You're too Magnolia. <laughs> yeah, you, you just you were doomed from the start here. Well, it's. Uh, I mean, who cares? Who fucking cares? Like, what? The <laughs> <fuck>? <laughs> you just you just flush ten weeks of your life down the toilet. Who cares? Um, this. Who fucking uh, cares, man? We will be back back one more time next week, next Wednesday at eight o'clock. Uh, the show will be much shorter then. We are going to do a post mortem on this mess. Uh, we will go over the t- the combined top 100. Um, I will award uh, rankings for the entire top 100. We will answer your questions. We will talk. We'll laugh. We'll have a good time. Um, and we probably won't keep you more than maybe like an eighth or a fourth uh-huh. time we kept you tonight. Um, kept it just over four hours. Could have been worse. We've had first worst five. What hours. is the longest wireless? It had, oh, it had to be it our had last. To be, yeah, the last, yeah. the top one hundred. It was five and a half. Yeah, yeah, that was a marathon. Oh, this, with uh, Scott, Spence, Jake, and Rue. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this wasn't that. Um, so, thank you guys all so much for being here. Uh, thank everybody for watching, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. Take Hulk care. Is Intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Drunk, get angry. Come on, break the lousy cup. Ow! I hurt my arm. And not expect everybody. Everybody. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine. <laughs>